0: Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Jeremy, and I'm recording the intro for the Tools for War podcast. Uh, Jonah will not be joining for the intro because it is 8.30 p.m. on Wednesday, March 9th, and he is asleep. He fell asleep. Like, check this out. He was going to come here after I got food, after I got dinner. And then he texted me and said, I'm half asleep, I guess because I took too long. And then I texted him a couple times back. I was like, hey, you want to just like call me and we'll just do like a phone intro. Uh, And then I let him know that I was back at the house and I got nothing. So hopefully he's uh, tucked in and just catching some Z's, man. And check it out. Speaking of sleep, we got Travis Bennington from Eternal Sleep on this week's episode.
1: There's a real- filter whoa
0: that's weird
1: there's a really funny filter where it gives you like a a mask of zorro thing going on and like me being a semi-fat dude it's pretty fucking funny looking
0: (laughs) we good we're good we're good good. cool cool um so we could just like fade in the audio wherever the conversation should start um yeah but we're kind of just um honestly so the way the
1: way that we did it that we want to do it and that we we did it priorly is uh is priorly a word no let's see i'm i'm stupid i got rocks for brains um (laughs) but the way that we did it before is basically just you know we're just having a conversation and yeah whatever we talk about is cool and then at some point, obviously, we talk about gear. Like, so yeah. like, we'll ask you what kind of what your rig is for eternal sleep and, yeah, <laughs> you know, like other things you're doing, anything you want to plug, just like stuff like that. Cool.
2: Yeah, I actually I listened to the episode with Tommy mm-hmm. nice. and uh, I loved it because you guys t- you. A, talked about Drunk Horse Pub, which is hilarious because <laughs> yeah. I've got some Drunk Horse stories. we will have to, uh, we'll have to get that on. Here. Yes. And then you were talking about pops in uh Saget, however the fuck you say that shit. Uh oh, Illinois. The, the
1: venue in uh, what Illinois? Yes, the Roadhouse
2: venue. Yeah. And we fucking I I got a story there uh, fucking too, man. We played there with Cattle Decap, which was fucking weird. Uh so yeah, it was cool hearing like things that I think probably every fucking band has to deal with.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, before before, like, I mean, only a couple months ago, I was still in an actively, like, heavily touring band, you know, I was in a, I started uh, the band Wrist Meat Razor, I don't know if you've ever yeah. heard of it, Damn. but I was doing, I was doing that band, right. and I just got to a point where I was like, mm, I'm not making money, and yeah. uh, I'm not really enjoying this anymore the way that I should, yeah. Right. and so I bowed out, everything is on good terms, but, um, you know, just i have plenty of stories plenty of homeless people that uh, i i don't know what it is but there's something about my face that just attracts the the strangest people possible like i'm just such a such a like hey that guy looks nice i'm gonna go talk to him about aliens you know what i mean right like that kind of thing like that happened to me in quebec yeah yeah like like first time in quebec city it was just like This man was like, Do you believe that when I die, my corpse will fly into the sky with the gods?
2: And I was like, Huh? Yeah, dude. I had a similar thing in Quebec, actually. I was like sitting in a Tim Hortons with our bass player, and some dude just came in off the street, laid some shit like that on me. And I just like, I just no sold him. I just was like, I'm drinking my coffee. Like, I'm not even hearing you. And the dude like casts like a spell on me. And told me I was cursed for all of life, and I was just like the fuck. And I just I, I was like I gotta get the fuck out of here. And we bounced, and then of course like chaos ensued on the rest of our shows. I was like motherfucker really did curse me. Like you did it. That
1: it, it's so funny because as soon as you said cursed, I immediately thought of the the recent the recent Lamgo, or I think it might have been Lamgoat or Metal Sucks, but the uh, first guitarist for Deicide went on like a drunk rant on Facebook. It was like, I curse you and your fucking hairpiece, Glenn. Yes. Patton.
2: Yes. <sighs> That's weird, man. That's a weird, weird fucking flex to curse people.
1: I <laughs> I, I don't fuck with curses. You know, I've been oh. to New Orleans. I, I, I yeah. you know, friends want to go to the, the voodoo museum. And I was like, you can go in. I'm, I'm going to stay outside. I, I don't trust any of it. Yeah, dude. Actually, I believe I believe a lot of that shit does actually have a uh, truth and weight to it, and I am 100%. One, I am not one to fuck with it. The- <laughs> nah, fuck with that shit.
2: We got we got a hex put on us in uh, fucking Baton Rouge on like oh, one of, of the first tours we did, <clears throat> and it was like, dude, it was seriously fucked up. We went through like the seven plagues, like. <laughs> The day after our tires melted to the freeway.
3: Holy shit. So we're like driving. The,
2: it was in the summer. Okay. So they just melted down while we were driving, though. Like, usually you're in motion, it's not that bad. Yeah, shit yeah. fucking melted. So then we're like, all right, whatever. We have like a spare. That's we can get one on and get to the next stop. So we go to out to pull the fucking jack and we're driving a Sprinter which has like a special Jack for it. Mm-hmm. And we pull the Jack out and all of the hydraulic fluid in the Jack has leaked out into the Jack compartment in the floor of the van. So we're out of fucking Jack. So we're there on the side of the road with like a two by four and like wedging fucking rocks and shit under this Jack to try and get it enough to change the thing. So that's like day, day one after the hex. Then a couple of days later we get to like Riverside, California. Oh, actually we missed two shows because after the tires melted, mm-hmm. the gas line burst. So we pulled in cause we're like, fuck we're out of gas. And we pull into the gas station and it's just pouring out of our van. Oh! And we're like, okay, cool. So we go in and we're like, Hey, we need the number for like a tow truck to like, get us to like a local shop. Mm-hmm. And, uh, i forget where we were we were in fucking texas somewhere and on our way to phoenix and the guy was like yo we can't get you a tow truck you got to call the fire department because you're <laughs> leaving gas all over the fucking gas pump and we're like yeah we're not doing that just get us fucking towed and he was like for 200 i'll call somebody to tow you and we're like, all right, fuck it. So we cough it up. Cause we don't want to get the cops and the fucking fire department shit involved and like delay this thing. Fuck that. So then we get fucking, uh, we get a toad. They're like, it's going to be like two days to fix this thing. Cause we can't get a part. Yeah. So we're like stranded in a motel that we could not fucking afford. And, um, um we're stuck there for two days we finally get it back on the road we're thinking everything's great get to river we had to drive 26 hours straight from where we were to riverside california to catch up with the tour we get to riverside california can't get into the venue so we go find some park and we sleep in it we wake up and our entire van is full of red ants like fucking fire ants top to bottom so we had to get fucking ant traps and we're spraying our van with fucking raid it's a nightmare we're like okay maybe we're out of this curse fuck no dude at one point (laughs) we're driving to um back from bakersfield and as we're coming down the freeway like the the four or whatever the five yeah i know i know what you're
1: talking about yeah
2: we're coming down that highway and it's just pouring down rain our singer's sleeping up on top of the bass cab in the back Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden he just starts like yelling he's like what the fuck the seam in the roof of the van split open and rain was just pouring into our fucking van. So we found a Walmart and bought flex seal. So here's a plug for flex seal Hell because yeah. you know, they, they like make the door into a boat. Yeah, uh, yeah. This shit works. <laughs> we flex sealed our roof and it was totally fine. Oh shit. We're like, all right, cool. This is great. Come back. We're coming back through like a few weeks later, coming back through Texas, and we stopped and at this point our gimmick was we would go to hotels i probably shouldn't say this because somebody will blow up the spot and we'll be fucked but we can uh, edit it out (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) i mean it's a good trick it's just like if everybody does it we nobody will be allowed to do it Yeah. yeah most hotels you know they have the fucking continental breakfast and shit so, what we would do is we would go sleep in the parking lots of the hotels, wake up, just roll in for the continental breakfast, eat free fucking breakfast, brush our Ooh. teeth in the fucking lobby, and then bounce. So, then it's God, like it's we're not paying for the that. hotel, but we get the amenities of the hotel.
0: Oh, yeah. And who are they and,
2: to
1: tell you you can't they, – they don't know you. Right. Exactly. They don't know who you are.
2: Exactly, dude. And, like, the shift change happens at, like, 5 a.m. or something. So, if you roll in at, like, 8, they, don't, they have no clue. Yep. So – we were pulling that maneuver and mm-hmm. we got up and we went in and a couple of us were eating breakfast. We left our drummer sleeping in the van and we come back and he's in the parking lot in his underwear. And he's just like, what the fuck? And we're like, what's up, man? He's like, the van is full of flies. And we look in and like the windows look black because it was, our whole van was full of flies. So then we had to go by fly traps. They were hanging from our van None of this we can explain beyond the hex from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and uh, it was a band called The Clad that did it. They didn't like her. Dude, listen, (laughs) they were were, were the worst band ever. Yeah, yeah. It was a two piece. Oh, dude, this just this tour alone is just like a whole (laughs) podcast in itself. Which
1: (laughs) tour was this? Just to clarify.
2: Uh, so we did a tour with this band incited from Florida. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm familiar with them. Okay. So mm-hmm. we were not, and the, you know, like nothing against those dudes or anything, but no, they were like, uh, in the same position as we were where like, n- nobody knew our bands and nobody cared. And they just hit us up and we're like, Hey, we booked this like 40 day full us tour. The shows are going to be bonkers. Like a lot of promises were made. And yeah, by their singer, who has since, like, disappeared off the face of the planet. Oh, A couple of the nice. dudes I'm still tight with, like, their their bass player, Dan, and yeah, yeah. Uh, Trevor and some of those dudes. Uh, so, nothing. there's no bad blood there. But their singer has, like, yo, every show we're getting, like, 600 bucks. And I'm like, fuck, okay. Can't say no to something like that, right? Well, yeah, of course. So, Because we're thinking, like, man, shit, maybe they're, like, hype and we don't know it. And yeah. like, this will be cool for us. And we'll just go out and we'll bang these dates. And mm-hmm. uh, not the case. This <laughs> is the worst shit. And the first show. So we had to play a connection to get to them. So we played in West Virginia, leaving Pittsburgh. And I should have known then it was like fucked up because mm-hmm. the band that played with us in West Virginia was a ska band where one of the members was dressed like fucking Spider-Man. And our fucking bass player got so hammered that he invited them on the tour with us. And they were like, cool, we'll go home and pack uh, our shit. No. Like, no, man, you can't come. On. Like, it's like, what the fuck? Dude. Yeah. So that was already a bad omen. So then the first show with Insight, it was in Baton Rouge. It was with this band, The Clad, who, like, their bass, it was a bass player drummer duo. Mm-hmm. And. I, dude i can't even, i don't even know how to explain the shit man i have one of the records fucking it's crazy they gave me like a hundred of their records and we used it to prank our drummer for like a long time because <laughs> shout, you know, shout out the clad yeah for sure dude uh, <laughs> but they uh yeah so first off they came up to me and they said like hey can we borrow some like gorilla tape or something to tape down our drum rug because we're playing this little dive bar we're on the floor and we're like oh yeah sure whatever their drummer used two rolls of gorilla tape and that shit's like expensive i mean
1: it's like like what like 15 20 bucks for your single
2: yeah right and so you're like on you're a band that nobody knows you have no money because you've played one show with fucking Spider Man. So, like, <laughs> you know, you're like, dude, that's like $30 worth of tape that you just blew. Yeah. And you're like, all right, like, whatever, dude. And this dude was like some crazy, like, long black hair, but like jacked fucking like goth metal guy. And I'm like, whatever. He had like the drum rack with like 100 drums. This is going to be great.
0: He's only going to hit like the- one or two of them.
2: Yes, exactly.
0: And then their bass
2: player was just like, uh, he was playing a, a Rickenbacker, which was sick. And I was like, okay, this this might turn this situation around. But then he told me how he lives in a compound, and he's off the grid, and he doesn't pay taxes, and he stockpiles guns. And I'm like, he's like, if you guys can stay there if you want, I'm like, fuck no. Like, we're not staying with you, man. Like, that's weird. Uh, whatever you got going on sounds like it sucks. You want
1: to cuddle with my AR-15? Yeah. And, and like, listen... Yeah.
2: Like you can be a gun guy all you want. I don't give a shit. But like, no, agreed. When you're like openly like I'm a compound guy, that's another. Especially in Louisiana,
1: it's 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 too close to Waco for comfort.
2: (laughs) Right. And I'm just well, you know, (laughs) you get in those southern states, man. They're fucking weird, and like fucking. And I got a lot of friends down there, and they're all weird. So oh yeah, yeah, whatever. But so then they start playing, and it is just they're a mess, dude. It, It was like pots and pans with like Getty Lee bass solos. And I'm just like, okay. And I, and you know, you're suffering through it because you're like, I'm in their town. It's, I'm trying to get hyped to play our set, whatever. Yeah, And our drummer just walks in and he, he didn't do anything. He just like had been outside, like smoking weed in front of the police station. And, uh, and our bass player had to eat the joint. Cause like, a cop just pulled in. I'm like, yeah, it's the fucking police station.
0: Yeah.
2: And I was fucking idiots, man. And so he just comes in and he's like, hi, he's like, oh man, what's up? And he just walks right in, in front of the singer and just like stands there to watch this band. And that like pissed off the singer of the clad. And he like ninja kicked his mic stand and was like, yo, I'm fucking over this. And he started like doing some like weird hand shit, like voodoo shit. And next thing, and I jokingly was like, yeah, that dude just put a fucking hex on you. Chaos ensues the rest of the tour. Uh, Shout out to Memphis, though, because they literally saved that whole tour for us and became brothers for life. Uh, They were the last day of the tour and they paid us $138.00 and it was cool how they did it dude brandon walked up to me and was just like yo do you like the misfits and i was like yeah And he was like here's 138 i was like all right tight dude, and that was man. that was like the only money we made the whole tour oh like, man. that was it and i was just like yeah man like you just saved my life with this 138 bucks but you know brandon's a fucking g man
1: I, he's sure. such a good dude i remember uh i mean memphis has always been since the first time i played there was always one of my favorite places to go to yeah because it's just everybody that comes out is like actually stoked yes you know and like whether it be young kids or older dudes or whatever yeah yeah. and i mean like even um let's see i've had i've had like some kids like ask me like oh how do you how do you get your like guitar tone like it sounds really good and like we're playing in like the back room of a venue you know, like, not mic'd or anything, and I'm like, oh, man, wow, they're actually, like, listening, listening, and, like, paying attention. Like, that's cool.
0: Yes. Yeah, you get those places where people don't normally come, and sometimes they're, like, they show an appreciation that they might not otherwise have had if they were as spoiled as some of these other places. Well, that's
1: the thing, too, is that there's some places where it's just they're more, um, you know, they're more grateful for bands that come through. Right you know what Just I mean you
0: were in further between
1: yeah i mean good yeah. example is like uh, out in Louisville out in kentucky i lived there yeah. for almost 2 years and every band that came through like it was the same like 25 30 30 kids and people that were the core of the scene that would come out and yeah. do the absolute most for no goddamn reason yeah but but yeah I mean, brandon brandon's fucking sick uh he's brandon's doing a sick. He's doing a new death metal band with uh, some guys that I know from over there called uh,
2: Excavate. Yes, it's fucking awesome. He's been sending me like the production on like their fucking record or their. Yeah. And it's awesome. I don't want to out him. Like if his bandmates don't know that he's like fucking sending me some top secret shit or whatever.
1: I'm I'm sure it's fine. I just haven't asked to hear any of it. I'm sure if I asked Spencer, their guitarist, he'd be like, yeah here you go you know
2: yeah dude it's uh it's fucking awesome and i'm like really stoked on it i think that it's honestly and i love reserving dirt naps and Mm -hmm. all the dudes in that band like paul and aaron those guys are fucking homies but i think that excavate fits brandon's voice better
1: oh absolutely i could see it
2: it just like it's like his whole demeanor kind of makes more sense like when you're fronting like a hardcore band you kind of have to be like energetic And not that he wasn't, but it's kind of like, for me, it's the same thing that I love about uh, God's hate and how Mm -hmm. Nate is just like a kind of like a just this big lumbering fucking front man. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's that in itself is enough. He doesn't have to do anything else. Yeah. And it is good for that. But like, it always was kind of like reserving, like needed something a little extra. I I can. Yeah. Well, like though, he's just like that's perfect. I mean, that's like right in the wheelhouse of. I mean, that.
1: when you're a when you're a six foot, you know, like five or six ex football players yes. that just listens to nothing but Memphis rap. Yes, like that. That's already scary enough.
2: Dude, I remember the, when we played Memphis on that tour. We didn't even know him because so we knew uh, our drummer was friends with Memphis from uh, Clench Fist yeah yeah so he connected us with Brandon to help us out with the show, mm-hmm. and Brandon put the thing together in like a week and then like a bunch of people showed up so we hadn't met him. we had just talked to him on the phone, and we had set up in that back room of that venue and there's that little tiny stage back there and yeah. at the time, I was running like two fucking full stacks and like we had two eight tens it was like a fucking a whole thing.
1: Now, was and this he, at the uh, the high tone?
2: Yes. In that. Okay, small so it was
1: in the back room of the high tone. Yes. Okay, I yes. know that's a that's a tiny stage. Tiny room. That's a very really uh, tiny stage. Yeah.
2: And he walks in the room, and somebody else, like he had this dude Chase that was there, like kind of as his like rep until he got there. We're talking mm-hmm. to Chase, and he's like, "Oh, there's there's the man, like there's Brandon," mm-hmm. and he points to this dude that just like ducked his way into the door. <laughs> And was somehow standing like at the same height as a full stack on that tiny stage. Dude, I was like, oh fuck, we're in trouble, dude. If this d- guy doesn't like our band, like he's just gonna he's gonna wreck us. But then he was just like, you guys, he's like, you guys will smoke weed, and half of the band is straight edge, and the other yeah. half just fucking loves that shit. And so those two dudes were like, hell yeah. And he's like, all right, And he just like lined it up and got them really fucking high. And I was like, this is great, man. Hell yeah. You know? They brought barbecue to us one time, like fucking, they just made a bunch of barbecue food, which was like kind of cool for me because I don't eat meat. I'm like the yeah. fattest fucking vegetarian you'll ever meet. Uh,
1: I mean, I'm, I'm vegan. I'm fat.
2: Yeah. I, I, yeah, Right. Well, it's cause I have like a white trash palate, you know? So I still oh, want, I want I, bad I, food. You know, I'm not gonna War
1: eat. is a white trash palette kind of yes. podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Yeah, so, but, like, they did, to appease me, uh, they did make this, like, barbecued corn, and it tasted, dude, it honestly just tasted like fucking Memphis barbecue. It was really awesome. That's uh, so sick. Yeah, dude, so I love Memphis. And when you guys were talking about the soul food place mm-hmm. in Memphis, ate there, also yaked it uh because we played there in the summertime, it was hot as shit. This yeah. fucking played, and uh after our set, I just fucking was like, Oh, I'm gonna be sick, I eat too much, and so I, I yak some soul and, food. And the
1: thing is, is that it was so good,
2: it was awesome, and,
1: and I was so I was so fucking upset yeah. after I threw it all up because I was like, I just spent sixteen dollars on this amazing, really filling food. Yes. And now it's all gone. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah, and it yeah. is, is such a bummer. But I mean, honestly, if uh, if you're in a touring band or ever traveling, you know, go to Memphis, go to yeah. a show in Memphis, see Reserving Dirt Naps, excavate any of those shows. They're yeah. always going to be good. They're always yeah. good. Um, but yeah, and so as far as um to switch gears a little bit, so how long have you been playing guitar?
2: okay so i actually was just talking about this with somebody Mm -hmm. uh i've been playing a stringed instrument since i was 11. but i was a a bass player originally because my dad so i grew up in a family of drummers my dad and both Mm -hmm. my brothers are all drummers and i cannot do that it doesn't make sense in my brain i can't move my appendages that way uh i feel
1: that i can read it i can read drum notation from programming drums but i cannot like be consistent with it
2: you're doing better than i can because i can't (laughs) do that i do like even in like high school band like when i was a kid as soon as you could play music in like orchestra in school i started playing Mm -hmm. and I, i played like low brass and i played saxophone and i was good at those things but like i never understood how to like count meter so it's like when there was, if it's like seven, eight or something, I was like, yeah, I, it, everything is four, four in my brain. And it doesn't matter what time signature is like, you could put on a fucking tool record and they're playing it in some crazy shit. And I'm like, yeah, that's four, four. That's like the same thing that eight, <laughs> I, I,
1: I feel that. I feel that. I mean, that's how I feel about Mashuga. Every time yes. I listen to Mashuga, I'm just like, four, four. I'm going to head, that's I'm going to headbang to four, four. Exactly. You know? yeah.
2: So when it came to drums i just like that's so much of about what what drumming is and i was like oh i'm cursed you know i can play like your basic drum beat you know that's it um so my dad his solution to that was if you want to work as a musician be a bass player because then they always people always need rhythm sections that's true so i was like oh okay you know and i just that was sound advice so i took it so i played bass forever until mm-hmm. basically until we started eternal, uh, the band we were doing right before this, I took over a guitar for like the last like year of that band. And That
1: was a uh, death, right? Correct. Correct. Okay.
2: Yeah, okay. correct. Um, I was writing everything for that, mm-hmm. but I was like, dude, it was like Finn Lizzie. I would write everything on bass and just be like, okay, play this. And the guitar player would like have to figure out what to yeah. fucking do with that. And, uh, he kind of just was like, over it at one point and i was over it so i was just like we're just gonna switch so i took over playing guitar in and death right <laughs> and did that till it was done and then i actually played in cdc and bitter end oh, after wow. that okay that's cool I was, I was just like a scab guy you know they I need mean, a- but,
1: but still you I mean like you know you think of you, you think of like if you're just telling somebody you were in those bands it right to the to the right people it doesn't matter i mean like it doesn't bands, matter. Good examples when Matt Bennett was like, "Oh yeah, I was in Twenty Five to Life." I was like, yeah, "I was like, right. yo,
0: you know yeah, what I mean?" Cause, and it's like, because to some people, it all that matters is that you. Well, I don't, I don't want to say all that matters, but it it at least matters that you got to play those songs for, for sure. I mean, it's
1: and it's like cool. a little it's like a little stamp yeah.
2: on your
0: on yes, your record.
1: You know 100%. what I mean? So it's like, yeah.
2: I mean, it's you're building a resume, and yeah, that's what it. that's what it comes down to. Yeah, and that's the way I looked at it because. At that time, like after Rate, I was kind of just like, "Well, fuck, doing my own band. Mm-hmm. I just want to go out and like tour." So, however, I have to do that. Like, I'll just do that.
3: Yeah.
2: And, um, because that was kind of the demise of Deathrite. Is myself and the drummer, who's my brother and is in eternal sleep, mm-hmm. we wanted to tour, and the other two guys were like, "We're we're out on that entirely." Yeah. The one guy like had kids, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm not doing that shit." and then the other guy was like starting a business so they were just like we're, we're adults now so like fuck that yeah. and so i just was like i need to tour and it worked out that um my buddy ethan was my roommate at the time mm-hmm. and he was he's in steel nation and also bitter end okay. and he was like hey bitter end's doing this tour they don't have a bass player would you want to do this tour and i was like yeah and so i <laughs> hurried up and I, I learned the songs we like left it was like the week of christmas and we left the day after christmas
3: yeah
2: and so i that week instead of like celebrating the holiday i just was like learning their set mm-hmm. we jumped on a plane out of pittsburgh flew out banged the tours with alpha and omega which was pretty sick um, oh yeah and it was like a west coast tour we did it all the shows were were bonkers and i was like yo touring is tight like this was is this cool. like,
1: was this like what like what year would you say that was
2: um 2010 or 11 it was right after climate of fear came out because not climate Fear*, is charged Gild, it was right after Gilde is charged oh yeah.
1: oh yeah I was gonna say that that's like that's like the height for you know what yes. what I think of like Alpha Omega. Alpha and Omega and Bitter End. I think of like the early two thousand tens is like the height of that kind of stuff where shows were just crazy no matter what. Yes,
2: and it was cool because like I got to play venues that like you see on like album covers. You know, it's like the Shea Cafe. We're playing um, the place up in fucking Anaheim, and uh, I can't think of the fucking name of it. Oh man, I everybody played chain reaction that's what it is yeah,
1: yeah i actually got to play chain reaction for the first time first and only time as yeah. of right now recently so it, right. that was really surreal so i, right. I feel that
2: and it was cool because that show was like crazy stacked mm-hmm. uh, i think like twitching tongues played it or no it was creature creature played it which was oh, like wow. members of of like og twitching lineup yeah, so that's, that's a throwback uh, right there Alpha and Omega played it. I heard some some other bands played it, but it ended up selling out. So then it's like, you're playing a sold out show with like bitter end at the chain reaction. You're like, this is surreal. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
0: That's a very California that era. Yes. Like like that time period. And, and on that coast that, that that's like the epitome of like that in a show. Oh yeah. Absolutely. To me. Absolutely. hundred percent. That's. And,
2: uh, So then after that, I got into, I came back and that like built my resume enough that, uh, I had known John Bowes for a long time and he called me and was like, Hey, uh, CDC is doing this like Euro tour and we need somebody to play bass. And I was (laughs) like, yeah, I'm in. And in my head, I'm thinking like, they still are touring off this fucking demo they released in like 2003. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, cool. I have like five, maybe six songs to learn. Yeah. They send me a 22 song set list and are like, you got to learn 22 songs in three weeks. Get to Philly. We're going to rehearse for one day and then we're that's it. We're gone. Oh. And And like the first shows were supposed to be in Egypt. Which is crazy in itself. In Egypt. Yeah. In Egypt, but it was 2011, and that's when like Egypt had like a civil war. Yeah. So we left Philadelphia, flew into Germany, and before we could get on our like connector connection to uh, Egypt, we got an email from the promoter that was like, "Hey, I have to cancel your shows because I have to go fight the People's Army of Egypt to like protect our country." Wow. So like. Sorry. And I was like, I mean, makes sense.
1: Yeah. <laughs> can't, can't really be mad at that. Like, go off, King, you know?
2: But then, like, that tour was, that tour was grueling, man. I lost 35 pounds on that fucking tour. Oof. Because John Bowes is a maniac. Uh, I love him. Uh, mm-hmm. But he was like, I think the tour was like a, a little under two months. And we, for half of that, we played two shows a day we would like play a festival in the afternoon and then drive two to three hours to a club and play an (laughs) evening show and then drive back to the fest and pick up all of our merch and then go to the next date. And that just, dude, it just tore you up. I was like so tired. I can
1: imagine getting really burnt out after that.
2: Yeah, dude. It was one day. Yeah. I mean, but, at the same time, at that point, I was just like, "Yo, this is the sickest thing." Like, is great. Like, we played with sugar
1: Well, yes, you're like, young and hungry, and you're like, yeah. all of it's new.
2: Yeah, right. And then that led to me coming back, and uh I was gonna be like a full time member of CDC, and we were mm-hmm. writing a record, and everything I brought to the table, they were like, "That sucks." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "All right," and so I would like go out there for like rehearsals and they'd be like what did you write since last time we saw you and i'd show them something like nah that sucks and uh nothing was sticking and it just kind of bummed me out and i just was like yeah maybe this isn't like the right fit Mm -hmm. and so i dipped and my brother had started eternal sleep and he wrote like three songs that made no goddamn sense And he was trying to get people to want to play him. And we played like two shows with him on vocals. We're playing these songs he wrote. And like, because they made no sense, we could barely play them. And I just was like, yo, man, I have all these songs that CDC hates that I think are sick. Why don't we try these? And then that was it. And so um, our singer Joe was like, yeah, I mean, if we're going to do that, let's put Colin back on drums Mm-hmm. And Joe sings in the band on real city. Yep. So he was like, and at the time they were not doing anything. Cause half their band was in integrity. Right? Yeah. So Joe was like, I'm like a singer, let, not a bass player, which is what he was doing. He's like, let me fucking sing. And then like you play guitar and we'll just find a bass player. And then that's how I became a guitar player, you know? So, I mean, at this point I've been, so I've been playing guitar since 2013.
1: Damn. Hell Yeah. And then what was the, uh, so what, what was your rig when you, when you started playing guitar? Um,
2: well, I mean, if If I can remember, yeah, I know, no, I absolutely can't. I'm like, weirdly like a steel trap about that stuff. Um, Same
1: here. Same here.
2: When I, so in high school, we started a band and I actually owned a guitar rig because I would like write on guitar sometimes. And so I bought a, uh, I had a, a Samick guitar. It was like a Strat knockoff mm-hmm. and it fucking sucked. <laughs> uh, I do. I mean, I, that's how I learned how to like fix shit. I learned how to solder. because That thing was broken all the time. Uh, and the amp I had was some guy that our actual guitar player worked with was like selling, he had a crate blue voodoo, 120-watt, like, actually blue fucking, like, half-stack. Yeah, He was like, he wanted, like, 800 bucks for it. And we're just like, yeah, done. And so we, like, the band pulled its money and bought that. Mm -hmm. And then over time, I just paid the band back and ended up owning it. And uh, I actually had that cab until, like, six months ago. I gave it to another Pittsburgh musician who was in need of a cap, so I just gave it to him. I was like, here you go. Nice. Uh, Legacy sick. lives. But uh, yeah. when we started Eternal, uh, my rig was a Marshall 1960A and a 1960B and two Sun Beta leads. Oh. Uh, and they okay. were like pre-Fender Sun Beta leads, so they're fucking... Yeah. It's like the shit that like, Red Fang uses. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I bought those combined for $500. It's... Yeah. Which is crazy. It's it's crazy
1: to think about, yeah.
2: Right. Now that shit's, like, expensive. Mm -hmm. But at the time, like, in the early 2000s, or, like, mid-2000s when I bought them, nobody wanted them. And... In my head, I was like, they can't break, you know? Like, they're solid state. They're loud as shit. So, like, that's perfect. Mm -hmm. And... uh, yeah, that was my first rig. No hey, ped- I, I, I didn't have any pedals because I was fucking poor. All I had was a tuner. So it was just amp and I would run both channels. Cause you can it's like you can do yeah. the green channel, or the red channel, or the middle, where it's mm-hmm. like both. And I would do both, but I would EQ them the exact same. So it's like it was just more fucking in your face.
1: Yeah, yeah. And what guitar were you using for that?
2: At that point, so I think my senior year in high school, I bought and this is honestly, this dates me a little bit because, fuck it, I guess in 2002, when oh, I was cool. graduating high school,
3: mm-hmm. I, uh,
2: I bought a LTD Viper and it's like a 301. Because everybody in 2002, 2003 had like, they had Viper basses and shit. Man. Yeah, I yeah. like, so I was just like, oh, that's a cool guitar. And it's like a black cherry finish. Mm-hmm. I still have it and I still play it. It's like my weird tuning guitar now Gosh, but, okay but yeah so i had that that was that was what i was playing and i played that i mean until 2015 that was like my only
0: guitar yeah i was i was trying to go back and remember um the first time i had seen eternal sleep what you were playing and i think it might have been that would you yeah, still it been was. Playing, would you have been playing that around the time that um that you guys played with um harm's way the beautiful ones and um yeah it was that whatever that tour was, it was that guitar that? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay yeah yeah because yeah. I, I caught that at um uh sidebar in baltimore yeah yeah yeah, yeah
2: dude yeah. um like i said that was like my only guitar i think after that tour i was like i need to own two guitars mm-hmm. and i bought a viper 400 it's like not even a 401. Some guy was selling it on fucking Facebook Marketplace. Yeah. It's like $200. And it was weird because at that time, uh, we were on the come up a little bit. And they like, Closed Casket was helping us get a guitar endorsement through yeah. ESP. Mm-hmm. And I actually kind of like told them to get bent because the deal that they offered us was like, it didn't help us at all. It was like yeah. 6% off of fucking manuf- like fit manufacturer's price or whatever. And I was Man. like, dude, I can buy these things for like $200 on Craigslist. Why the fuck would I pay however much for like a guitar? It doesn't make yeah, sense. Just to, just
1: to say you're endorsed.
2: Right. Yeah. So we were just like, we just told him no. And uh, mm-hmm. I think our bass player was more bummed about it because he was like, oh, he had his eyes on this like certain bass. Yeah. And, uh, he was like, yo, I'm going to get that. And I was like, nah, you're not. I mean, you it, I mean, you can pay full price, but like, you know, whatever.
0: You can get so, it, but you're but not endorsed. The only opinion yeah, right. would have been if they if if it wasn't one that he could have found used. And if it was that, yeah, he it, that exactly. was like, all he had to do was wait. Right.
2: Yeah. Well, also, too, he's like, he's weird, man, because he's actually a guitar player and had never played bass prior to Eternal. So when he joined the band, I just had all of my bass gear and was like, here you go. Like, just use this. Yeah. So my first bass was like a slammer by hammer and I, I trashed it and I sold it to some pill head for like 200 bucks. Nice. Um, But then I I used that and I bought, I'm talking like, I was probably like 13. I bought a made in Mexico Fender jazz. And then I, I just decked it out like I put like a badass bridge on it, and I changed it, yeah. and that was just that was my workhorse forever. And it's actually it's been on every tour I've ever done because then he started using it. Mm-hmm. So it just the it like lived on because it's just it's undefeatable, man. You can like I've thrown it at people, like <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. I've hit people with it, <laughs> like, and it just it never breaks down. So. He came in and he was like, never had a need to buy a bass. And mm-hmm. then finally I just told him like a year, or like right before the pandemic, actually, we were getting ready to go record. And I was like, you need to buy your own shit, man. Like we've been a band long enough. Like it's, it's yeah, you it do this. been long enough. And he went out and he bought like essentially the same thing in white. Cause that's like his color.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Not my thing at all. Uh,
1: but Yeah. I'm an, I'm an all black kind of guy.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm anything but white for the most part. I mean, like, some of the old Fender stuff that turns, like, yellow is cool to me. Yeah. but like, my Les Paul. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there yellow. you go. <laughs> that shit is fucking cool. But he got, like, an Olympic white fucking Fender that was, like, made, like, 2013. And I'm like, that's not that cool. It's great for him, <laughs> though. But he was, like, not my I style. tried to encourage him because I've always played jazz basses. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Dude, you should get like a precision base, maybe, or you should get check out other stuff." And he was like, "No, nah, this is what I'm used to." So I don't think he ever actually was going to buy an ESP base. I think he just was like, liked the idea of, of it.
1: I I can so. I can relate to that. I mean, there there was a point where, um, Rizmi Razor uh, had been offered like an angle endorsement. And like the deal was like, it it was fine. It wasn't like anything like amazing, but I was like, you know, I I felt like this, this almost like pressure to buy something and I was broke and obviously angle is very, very expensive. So I was like, yes, "Uh, you know, maybe, maybe not. And, you know, now, now I'm not, I obviously am not doing that, but I, I can relate to that, you know, wanting to, right. wanting to just,
2: yeah. yeah. It's cool. And it's cool too, man. When you're at a point as a band where like people even like you're even in the conversation for something like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You
2: know, cause like growing up, I had, I had no money, man. I mean, I think you guys were talking about like some like weird, like stereo, like playing through a stereo receiver on the episode with Tommy. That one's with
1: tommy uh when he was in uh, he was saying when he was in
2: peru yeah. yeah and like i started the same way like that was like my first bass amp it was a it was an old marantz stereo fucking thing and i would just play yeah. it through my stereo and it was cool because you could pan shit left or, le- or right so mm-hmm. when you're like want more of the bass it's like i pan everything to like the left and i'm like learning bass songs that's how i learned to play but then it was like when I started actually getting into like the gear, yeah, I couldn't afford it. My parents couldn't afford it, and because drums are way more expensive, so like they're buying drum shit for everybody. So like being the odd man out, it was like no, I mean I don't yeah. know what to do with this. And they didn't know. Like my dad wasn't like a gearhead, so he didn't know. Like I would yeah. say, hey, I need this thing, and he's like, no, you don't. Uh, so he, I remember he helped me build bass cabs. So, like, for a long time, I had these, like, handmade, like, fucking kind of shitty, but also kind of cool. And he painted them blue, like, bright fucking blue, which was insane. <laughs> and they were made out of, like, particle board, man. They were heavy as shit. He put the casters on the back of them. So, like, to move them out, you had to, like, flip them over. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and uh I played those forever, man, until, like, I was in college. And that's just, like, I never really had, like... Gear, so like as an adult, I'm a fiend, you know. I oh, like, okay. can't. Yeah. It. But yeah, I don't know.
1: Well, just so, just like I've said, like so we've done what three episodes now? Yeah. Right. So I I think I've said it in two of the three. Yeah. It, it really goes to show that you can make anything work. Yeah. You know, if if you re- if you have that drive and that passion, you can make it work. And at some yeah. point or another, you can move on to something better. For but sure. you, you know, like I, I think you know, you said you only had one guitar for the longest time. Yeah. Literally, uh so there was at one point when I started actually playing in bands, like playing guitars and bands. I was in a I was in a local band called Life of Torment, and I only had um I had this uh I still have it to this day. It's a uh Sterling by music band like JP7. Yeah, yeah, Like a seven string. And it was like, it's a really nice guitar, you know? And it's like, obviously, it's one of the, the lower tier of the, the Music Man brand. But that was the only thing I owned. I didn't own a cab. I didn't own a head. And the drummer right. let me use his 5150 and Mesa 4x12. And then okay. he had another Mesa 4x12 and a V4. And I was <laughs> the only guitarist. And I would just run everything through both with a yep. tuner and... I want to say HM2 and reverb. And yeah. that was it. And I look back at it and at the time I didn't really think very much of it. You know, I didn't realize right. what, what I was using, but it sure. got the job done. Yeah, yeah. And now I look back, I'm like, fuck, I wish I had that V4. I wish I had
0: 50. Yeah, right? You know what I mean? It's, yes. When you're, when you're in those situations, it's almost like a survival mentality and you kind of have to like yeah. adapt to figure out how to use those things and make them work. Yes. Yeah. And like, for for me, that's kind of what like put me on the path to like being obsessed with like buying shit that I don't need is like if a guitar <laughs> didn't serve the purpose that I need at the time, I would trade it up for the next thing. And it would be just Absolutely. be like one after another after another until I found what I was looking for. And it wasn't until like like my mid-20s and onward where I started like going after shit just because yeah. I yeah. wanted it and owning more than one thing, but like yeah. that like the, like the hunger for, what like, like what you haven't heard yet, or like. Well, that's that's right. the thing what, is they they know. say
1: you know the the quest for the perfect tone is never over. It's a continuous right. thing. Yeah.
0: You know, yes. I mean, even even
1: old fucking you know blues like, you know, the old head like fucking in their sixties dudes that only play like Les Pauls and say, oh that's that's stupid. You know what I mean? Like those kind of guys, yeah. they'll say the same thing.
2: Yeah. Right. Well, but, I mean, I think. Because, like, every musician is, like, ADD or something. Oh, absolutely. I know know that's my fucking problem. So I become, like, super hyper-focused on things. And, like, the idea of this quest for tone is, like, you know, the ADHD kid's, like, fucking wet dream. Because you can own a million fucking pedals or own a million amps. You can constantly be changing everything. And so it's, like, it's very satisfying and rewarding. But also can make you mad. You know, oh, like,
1: absolutely. I mean, I'm at a point right now where I'm trying I'm trying to sell this VT, uh this VT twenty two that I have that I got because I was like, well, they don't have an Ampeg V four uh yeah. the comic. So I'm gonna get the next best thing, which is the combo version. And then I right. realized how heavy it was, and then I just don't want to move it so it doesn't get yeah. used. And like and then we we talked about we talked a lot about BC Rich, I think like a couple days ago. And I was yeah. like I was like, fuck man. I, I need a I, I need a BC Rich right now. <laughs> like, so like I've been I, I've been like literally scouring like eBay, Marketplace, Reverb to try and find oh. something to satiate that need.
2: You know yeah, what I mean? Well, I'm like that, like all the bands I fucking love. Mm-hmm. I, I'm like I'm a hawk about what they're using. And I'll become oh, obsessed. Absolutely. With it. I mean, like, that was like when I Actually, one of the last shows I played with CDC, we played with Niall at oh, New England Metal Fest. Yes. And I had never seen Nile, and they were, like, incredibly heavy. No, and afterward, crazy. I was talking to him, and I was like, yo, what fucking amps are you using? Because I just saw Marshalls. And I was yeah. like, yo, are you using, like, 800s, 900s, what, what's up? And he looked at me, he's like, oh, it's a 2,000 dual super lead on the clean channel. I was like, okay, and I came home from that show, and I walked into like uh, my buddy's store, backstage guitars, and he had a used one for five hundred bucks, and I bought it straight up. And then from there, I connected the dots back to like Damnation AD being one of my favorite bands of all time.
1: On top, and Ken
2: would run like a fucking triple super lead on the green channel and an eight hundred. And he ran two Marshall full stacks. So then from there, I was like, well, I already have one Marshall full stack now. I need two. So (laughs) I went out and I bought a second. It was like off the same line, uh, same year, same everything, dual super lead. So I had two of those and they were nearly identical. And then I bought another A and a B. And then I was like, okay, now I'm like, it's like damnation. And recently, I like, I love L7. And I was watching the L7 documentary and Danita Sparks was talking about how she loved playing a flying V because it was the most unpunk guitar and it just bummed everybody out. I was like, I need a fucking V man so I Dude, fucking bought a V. So I, it's like yeah that's always my thing. It's like whatever I think other people are doing that's cool. I'm just like I'm here for it.
1: you know I mean that's the thing is like one one amp that I really want that i don't even think i've told you about it's just something that like is always in the back of my head but you know like listening to uh, listening to domination by morbid angel the guitar tone on that record is just so crushing and so just grimy and i was like i i I need that like i need to know what that is and of course you know there's a million and one different like Forum posts about what Trey uses yeah. on stuff, but it's like the constant is always the 900 JCM nine hundred and a rat. The nine hundred yes. and the rat, and like and yes. like my brain, my brain can't comprehend that he gets that tone from something right. so simple. But then right. you know, that's where that's where being a, a fucking gear nerd is really an issue because you overcomplicate yes. things, you overthink things, and you're like. Yeah. We gotta put this in front of this, this in front of that. You know what I mean? Right.
2: Well, but, and I mean that's it's that kind of like befuddlement that's kept mm-hmm. me from like the digital realm of music mm-hmm. because I just I, that's too much for me. It's too mm-hmm. much to comprehend. Like, I to me like an amp and something in front of it and that you can manipulate with your hands mm-hmm. and it's right there. That makes sense to me. So it's like, I can sit down and like, I can understand like how, like a 900 and depending on the model makes it easier. Cause I had a 900 for a while. Mm -hmm. I had like the, like the high gain version yeah and it was, it was really easy to just get that like nineties metal tone. You just turn the bass, like all the way up and fucking mids at like fucking one o'clock and then you just rolled the treble off and it was just, there it is and so then it's like i and i use a rat i have like mm-hmm. five different types of rats um it's like a pedal that i'm super into and actually i got into it because of more of angel andy williams from every yeah. time i die was like dude you should try a rat pedal and it started because he was like that was the damnation ad tone was a mm. turbo rat And we were on tour and he was like, you're running the the Marshall full stacks like damnation. You need a rat pedal. I was like, yeah, I mean, maybe. And then we were in San Francisco in a music store together. And he was like, dude, get the rat. And I was just like, I don't, I mean, like, I don't know, man. And he was like, yo, Morbid Angel uses it. I was just like, (laughs) all right. And then I, I got that. Actually, he got that rat for me and was like, he bought it and was like, look, you're on the fence about it. Use it for the rest of the tour. If you don't love it by the end, just give it back to me. And mm-hmm. I was just like, all right, deal. And then, like, I used it the whole tour, and at the end of the tour, like, like a little kid, I still just was like, even though I loved it, I went back to him, and I was like, here, man, like, here's this thing. He's like, do you like it? And I was like, yeah, and he's like, keep it. I was just like, oh, sick. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. thanks, friends. You know, it was like, yeah, I was like, a little yeah, yeah. bit but but then from there, like I said, I became obsessed with the rat. So I bought like all those companies like JHS and all them that do like the yeah. different mods of the rats. Yep. I got like a Keely mod. I got like a fucking JHS mod. Um, there's one other company that did a mod. I recently got that like fucking pack rat thing, like the super pack rat or whatever the JHS yeah, did. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's cool. Cause it's like all the different rats. It's like all of them. I was
1: actually just watching a video about that yesterday. Yeah. Because I am I'm catching the rat bug now. Cause I ordered a uh I ordered a uh, pedal from uh inverted cross audio uh yeah. and he made me this dual pedal that has a 808 circuit on one side yeah. and then a rat circuit on the other side. Yeah, that's and perfect. I had never owned anything anything with a rat circuit. I, I've never really run through them before. Yeah. And I put it in front of the thirty-one twenty that I got recently, and I was just like, "Whoa, oh, oh, okay, I get this now." You know, yeah,
2: dude. I mean, it's weird. I mean, the the new rats, like the the rat two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have one of those that's like just straight up, and listen, man, I, I have some that have the like the LM three hundred eight chips in them,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and. I have some that are modded to be turbo rats. And out of all of them, the turbo rat I think is the best one. Uh it's just like a sound that I really like. It's a little bit more yeah. shrill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, but like the Proco Rat 2 is just straight up is is a cool pedal. And they're like 80 bucks or something. So everybody like all the rat right and all the rat purists are like, oh fuck that. It doesn't have the 308 chip, it doesn't have this. It, dude, it's just as good. It's almost... And if you watch, like, JHS actually did, like, a whole, like, kind of documentary on, like, the progression of the rats. Yeah. And, like, really nothing has changed in, mm-hmm. like, 30 years of the rat. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, after they swapped out the LM308 chip, it's just been, like, the same thing. Right. So it's, like, all these people that are, like, oh, this isn't... It's not the real deal. Fuck off, man. And, like,
1: And it's, like, realistically, the difference... Like with or without the chip, the only difference is like, at least from what I've heard in the way my ears perceive it, it's just a little bit, it's just a little bit warmer with the 308 chip. I bought,
0: I bought, I bought one somewhat recently and, uh, and I did find the 308, so I did swap it out and solder that one in, Mm -hmm. but I was shocked at how little of a difference between the two, like hearing the before and after. Yeah. Like, I was like, well, I didn't necessarily need to spend the money and time to do that. I could have just right. bought it stock and left it the way it was.
2: Yeah. That's it, man. I mean, having all the different versions, I typically just still go back to either my turbo modded one or just a straight up Pro-Co 2, you know? And it's like, it's it sounds essentially the same. Mm-hmm. And I I think that, like, the the values on the pots are different, which is, like, a big thing for some people. Mm -hmm. And so, like, you kind of have to, like, a sound you could find at, like, one setting on, like, the 308 versions versus what you where it would be on the new version is different. Mm -hmm. So, like, I could see where, like, somebody that just wants an exact replacement to come in and be, like, exactly how they... They set it to Mm -hmm. their settings, and it doesn't sound the same. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can see that, but you can find that sound. You know, like yeah. take the no, time just, with just it. Just
1: like don't yeah. d- it, for sure. Don't be scared of change. You know, yeah. just just it, just it. embrace it. Explore Absolutely. a little bit. Don't be such a fucking virgin about it.
2: Yo, I was scared of change for a long time. I, I right there I, with you. Like, and it wasn't even that I was scared of it because I was still like I was buying a bunch of gear and I was exploring stuff, but. When Eternal started touring like all the fucking time, I just was like, I just need it to be the same every night. Like, you get that in your head that, like, to be a good touring band, it has to be like just consistent every single night.
1: I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah.
2: So it was like, I had redundancy of everything. I had mm-hmm. two of every amp, two of every fucking guitar pedal that was on my board. Mm -hmm. and i would just if something broke down i just here comes an exact replacement and i never deviated from the sound and and it sucked and after a while like i got really bummed on just doing the band because i was like when we started the band it was before the hm2 craze yeah and i just was like what actually did it is with death right we were recording in cleveland and the guy played me rotten sound Mm -hmm. And, like, I had heard Entombed and stuff, but, like, I heard Ron sound and was, like, whoa, that's insane. Yeah. And I was, like, what is that? And I went out and was, like, oh, it's the HM2 through, like, a dual rectifier. And so I was, like, okay, I need those things. Yeah. And I got, I got the HM2. And then when, I, when we started Eternal, that was the only guitar panel I owned. I had a bunch of bass stuff, but that was it for guitar. So that just was the sound by design. Mm-hmm. And we were just doing that. And then it became like a craze. And mm-hmm. everybody sounded yeah, yeah. like that. And then that like kind of bummed me out. And not that like I didn't like sounding like everybody else or whatever, mm-hmm. but it just was like I got sick of doing it. And about the time we did the "Every Time I Die" tour, I was like super over it. And I remember the first show, man. We finished playing, and I was talking to Andy Williams, and he was just like, "What pedal are you using?" And I told him, he's like, "Get that shit out of here, man! Like you're better than that." <laughs> and it and it, and I, it just got it was like the, what I needed to push me over the edge.
1: Yeah, just that little encouragement there, right? Well,
2: and he's like a fucking and he's like a big time gear dude. So mm-hmm. then he was just like, every day we're hanging out and we're talking and we'd go get coffee or we'd go to the mall or something. He'd be like chipping away at it. Like, dude, you got to get away from that thing. You got to do something cooler. And then he actually got in my head about my amps because I was using the JCM 2000s. Yeah. And he was like, you know that those things actually suck, right? <laughs> and I was like, no. You know, what do you mean? Like, this is like what I use. And he explained to me how like all like the, they put chips in them. So like all the tone is like actually through like compressed little fucking chips and how, like, if you take an 800, it's like, and you change the base, you actually feel the base change. Whereas like mm-hmm. if you change the base on a 900 or 2000, it just changes the compression through these chips so you don't actually feel the bass change Mm, okay and he had an 800 and he's playing it and he's showing me and he's we're you know going back and forth and i'm like ah and so then i was like bummed on that and that created a whole nother thing for me but like he like i said he just chipped away at him by the end of the tour i had like a completely different pedal set up i completely abandoned the hm2 and i never went back to it Mm -hmm. um I have like four of those fucking things. I sold three of them. I just kept one to have one. Yeah. Uh, but then that was it. You know, the quest began, <laughs>
0: you know, I was fucked. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, uh, I, I recognized hearing it on every eternal sleep record, at least until the, the newest, the two, the two yeah. songs. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, but um I, I think the HM2 is weird because like like I love that tone. Yeah. But anyone who is ambitious enough to try and use it has to come up with a way to use it in a format that isn't used by somebody else. Like the band has right. to sound different than the other bands using it in a certain way. Right. And I think I think you guys like definitely like nailed that. But I also yeah. thought when I heard those two songs, I was like, damn, it's really cool that they can reinvent their sound. Right. Not, not straying from it. But I, I don't really know how I'm trying to say it, but like it
1: just goes to show that the, cool. the guitar tone, like your, your guitar tone really, really shapes the the, the yeah. I guess I don't even know how to say it. I guess like the uh visual audio representation of the band if that if that makes sense Mm -hmm. like like you know
2: you're you're seeing with your ears I think dude it was kind of like this when I was writing songs for eternal I just wanted to be like the heaviest grunge band that was it (laughs) you know like when I was a kid in the 90s I was like the first music I got my hands on was grunge shit because that's what my dad was listening to and then 80s punk shit. So for me it was like Black Flag, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden. And that was my wheelhouse. Bands like Tad, that was yeah. like my shit. Yeah. And Tad especially because they were like really heavy. Mm-hmm. And to me I it was like that was hardcore. And I found hardcore later and it they all sounds the same to me. So when we started Eternal I was just like I just I want to write grunge songs. Mm-hmm. And then we're just going to put them through an HM two. And I think that's what allowed us to be different. Cause we weren't trying to play metal. We were trying to play yeah. like rock shit.
0: Yeah. But then bigger. it also
2: made the transition away from the HM 2 make just as much sense mm-hmm. Absolutely. because, yeah. you know, like, and that's the thing is like L seven. Susie used an HM two at one point. Uh, David Gilmour from Pink Floyd used an HM2 at one point. Mm -hmm. Um, Fucking Tad used them at one point, but they used them in like a totally different way than like bands like Entombed. Yep. Yeah. And so like, but then they all graduated away from it and they just found something different. And my philosophy was like kind of stolen from the Melvins. I wanted a tone... And a sound that was going to like shake the, the pant leg, you know? Yeah. And I wanted to like be on stage and be able to feel it against my back. And the HM2, that is never the case. It's such a nope. nasally sound that it's like, yeah. I always was like, we're not heavy enough. We're not loud enough. Something's fucked here. And so then when we started like switching it up, I was like, I just tried to find the thing that was going to move the leg of my pants. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: and what ended up being the thing that moved the leg of your pants uh, so <laughs> <laughs> that's the question
0: yeah, what yeah you is, running now? Or so what were you running then, and what are you running now okay, well, so then when you made um, the change yeah when
2: i but when we the last tour I used the h m two was the every time I die tour, right, and on that tour, my rig is very simple mm-hmm. um. I have a couple of time-based things now more than ever. But on that tour, it was uh, just a digital delay at Boss DD6. Mm-hmm. And I don't use it as a delay. I just set it to the hold feature. Mm-hmm. That way, between songs, I just dump everything to
0: that. And, and
2: then, then just, just let just it go. gives it
0: you off. that nice, yeah. Right. Yeah, I knew, and, you, I, knew, I knew you were using some looper. I was going to guess like a jam man or something. But yeah. So
2: I had a jam man.
0: Okay, uh, yes. Yeah, because... I thought I knew that.
2: 10 old from damnation ad told me to get one Mm -hmm. and he was like dude you should get one they're cool i was like because i asked him like how does damnation do all their loops he's like this is how so i got one and but we would only use that for like samples like movie clips and shit yeah and all but all the noise stuff i'm just doing on the fly and so most of the shit in my board i don't use for any purpose other than to make a racket so it's like I'll have, like, fuzz pedals and stuff <laughs> in there that, like, I just use for the purpose of trying to sonically hurt the audience yeah. between songs.
1: That That is honestly just so, so sick. They deserve it. We deserve <laughs> it. Everybody deserves to suffer. When when you see eternal sleep, they want you to yeah. sleep eternally. All right. Yes. I'm going to go. I'm going to go now. Really
3: uh,
2: no. I mean, but honestly, for me, it the music we make is cathartic and it's, it was started out that way. When I started writing music for this, I was going for like a shitty breakup. And, you know, like every good song is written about a girl and, uh, you know, or your significant other, whoever that may be, it's defunct, uh, you know, love falling apart and decaying heartbreak creates music, man. And, uh, I was in like a really aggressive place mentally, not toward anybody but myself. So when I started writing eternal songs, I wanted it to hurt me physically. Mm-hmm. And uh, that just over the years has evolved into, I project that toward the audience. And it's like, how can I do that in a way? It's like, you know, you're, you want to get a riff across and you want people mm-hmm. to be able to enjoy your music. And uh, especially for the sake of the other guys in the band who do not feel this way at all. Uh, they're not trying to hurt the audience at all. They're yeah. just there to like, have fun.
1: Yeah.
2: And uh, so for me, that was like in between songs was like my time to like, this is, this is for me. And I want it to hurt me as much as I want it to hurt anybody, uh, which is, I mean, if anything,
1: fun. it's hurting you more than anybody else. Cause you're right up on it.
2: Right. And dude, that's like, um, that's the reason I actually had to start wearing earplugs because uh, we were doing a lot of tours early on and I, in those moments, I would just press my fucking face into my fucking cabs and mm-hmm. just take the abuse. And then I would come home and I would feel like I had a mush head for like weeks. And I was like, this is probably pretty bad. Get a um, straight up smooth brain going on. Yeah, dude. And so I started wearing earplugs so I could continue to do that with yeah. a little bit less damage. Um, but yeah, so that rig on the Every Time I Die tour was just like a DD six and an HM two and a tuner, like a TU two, and uh, and that was it. That's all I had. And then and that after the, that, tour, the JCM two thousands. Yeah, so the the dual super leads, mm-hmm. one on a green channel, one on a red channel. Okay, was okay. the only difference. They were EQ'd the same way, and. uh two Marshall full stack cabs. And really? then after that, I bought a, uh, and so this is where it comes. He dissed my amps. You know, he told me that those things suck. So I, I came home <laughs> and I, I had a PV butcher and I traded it. And one of my JCM 2000s, my second one, not the one I originally bought for a uh, VHT Pitbull CL 100. And it's the CL100 with the graphic EQ because it was the closest thing to the amp that Paige Hamilton for Helmet uses. Fuck yeah. Because he uses like the Ultra Lead version, which has yeah. three channels, but you cannot fucking get those for less than like your life. So, <laughs> nah, yeah. I a dude in Erie, uh, it's actually the, uh, Kyle who plays in Bushido Code. Oh, hell yeah. He, uh, he fucking had one. And he texted me to rub it in my face that he got it. And I I was just like, yo, if you want to get rid of that, let me know. And so he told me what he bought it for. And like a day later, he's like, yo, I'm going to sell it. But he wanted like double the money. I was like, not happening, dude. Like, I know what you spent on it. Like, come on. Yeah. And he was like, like, well, trade me your beta leads. And I was like, no. (laughs) Come on. Like, even though I don't beta leads. Yeah, well, I don't play them much, but they're, like, they're the first amps I ever bought. So, like, I'll be buried with them. And uh, and he was, like, all right, well, what about the Butcher and one of your 2000s? And I was, like, done. So, because I hated the Butcher, dude. It weighed, like, 200 pounds. And I know it was, like, the Mississippi Marshall, and it was supposed to be, like, an 800, but it sucked. I didn't like it.
0: Um, I had one, and I didn't I didn't understand it either. I got rid of it, and then uh, Tim Mulaney bought it, and now he plays it in G-Pact. He plays huh. it in Genocide Pact, yeah. I wish cool. they kept it now, because hearing yeah, it sounds great, but I, could, I Dude, couldn't I, get it, to, like what you're saying, I couldn't get it to sound the way I wanted it to sound. Never. The only time it sounded, it sounded
2: half true. decent, we did one tour... Um, and it was after the Every Time I Die tour, we toured with uh, Wrecker. It was like seven shows or ten shows or something. Mm-hmm. And I took it upon myself to run three amps, like a real dickhead. <sighs> uh, and so I was running a JCM 2000,
3: mm-hmm.
2: a Mesa Triple Rec, and the PV Butcher. And it sounded awesome in the mix of those three amps. But if you took any of the other two amps out of the mix, the butchers kind of sounded like shit. Yeah. So it was like something about like where all of those things sat in the frequency range. Mm-hmm. It was like cool. But after that, I was just like, nah, I, I got to ditch this. So I traded him that and my 2000 for the pit bull. And uh, that became like my main amp. And that's just been like on everything. So, but when we went in to record the new shit, I didn't use any of my stuff. Hmm. It was the first time, like everything we've ever recorded up until the new shit uh, was one, like the right channel was always a sun beta lead and the left channel was always a JCM 2000. And, uh, and like the pedals were like a wide array of whatever. You yeah. know, like an HM2 for sure, but then we'd sprinkle in some other shit. But on the new shit, um, I took my Pitbull, my Triple Rec, and a Fender, like a 90 Fender Blues Deluxe, mm-hmm. and which the Pitbull and the Blues Deluxe made it onto the record, but they are not the principal tracks. Oh. All of the principal tracks are actually like a Rev E- blackface dual rectifier. Ooh. And the deal was because we recorded with Arthur Rizik, who's the shit. And we sent him demos of all the songs mm-hmm. and he was like listening to him. And he called me and he was like, you know, what is the vibe you're going for? And I was like, I want it to sound like Cole S playing stone temple pilot songs. And he was like, got it. on it
1: and
3: and i was like
2: specific too right and so he just when we showed up he was like all right i have a 412 cab like a marshall b cab and here's my like this dual rectifier that he had bought for when he did the cavalera conspiracy record
3: yeah and
2: he bought it because that's the amp that they use on the early sampletura shit So he, like, got it, and he ended up not using it on that record. They used, like, 6505s or something.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. But he was like, this amp is fucking awesome. So, and I had, like, I took, like, a Pelican full of pedals, and I pulled them all out, and we sat down to find the guitar tone. And he, we tried a bunch of stuff, the stuff that I use live, and um, stuff that I just had. And it all sounded great, but he was like, you know, I, I want to do something weird. Like, let's try and find something that sounds weird, but like still hits it on the head. Mm-hmm. So we ended up with the left channel is a Wazacraft metal zone. And then the right channel is the Dimebag distortion, but on like the weird chorusy channel, because it's got like two foot Ooh, switches, yeah. So it's got like a, a, like a tinge of chorus to it that just, it made everything really wide. Yeah. And then both of those through that amp were just, it was like, you could feel it through the walls in the studio. And we're, and as soon as I heard it, I was like, yep, that's it. And we, we just stopped fucking around right there. And I just tracked immediately. And, uh, and it was very easy Now the other stuff, like the pit bull made it in on some of the lead stuff, like all the Mm -hmm. leads on the record are done with that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, because you can do some cool with the graphic EQ, you can like notch up the highs so that they get all your leads get kind of messy and they're like squealy and kind of like a fucking mess. And I like that. And then (laughs) the blues deluxe is on there. There's two tracks that are just the blues deluxe. And, uh, but it was because I wanted it to sound like Western songs. Like I wanted it to sound like Neil Young playing like, uh, the dead man soundtrack. So I was like, you know, like you gotta buy a Western amp to do that. Yeah. So, and actually I bought that amp because I went in to get a, uh, what is like the fucking, uh, ghost echo pedal by, uh, Earthquaker devices. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And the dude in the store was I was like, Hey, can I try this out? And he was like, Yeah. And he sat me down in front of the front of the blues deluxe and plugged this pedal in and I played it. And the first chord I played, it sounded like Chris Isaac. Like it sounded like like whatever that like Wicked Ways or whatever that song was. Yeah. Can, and yeah. I was just like, Yo, I am pack it all up. I called my <laughs> wife and I was like, Hey, uh, I'm gonna spend like six hundred bucks right now. And she was like, Okay. <laughs> You know, she's like, "Go for broke, man," and I was like, "All right, cool," because uh, I definitely didn't need it. You know, I have like a basement full of shit, but
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, she gets it. I was like, "I just told her," I said, "Dude, I just played this amp. it sounds like Chris Isaac," and she's like, "Okay, you need that." I was like, yes, I do.
1: That's that's uh, the kind of partner you want. If you're if you're to anybody to anybody that hears this, if if you are a gearhead. Find you a partner that that supports your gear addiction because there's much yes. worse things you can be doing with your yes. time and your money,
0: right? Truly, <laughs> truly. I I, f- I feel like me personally, I have to like be beaten into being in check, and that's why I've kind of gone out of control with some of this shit. Do you need <laughs> me to start beating you? No. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: yeah. That, that's that's crazy though. Yeah,
2: it's yeah. dope. I mean, there's like a bunch of weird effects on the record as always. Um, I like I love um I forget who makes it. It's like uh it's it's a harmonious pedal mm-hmm. that's like made by like some bullshit company. It's literally plastic, it's made out of plastic.
1: Is it a? Uh, is it one of those behringer pedals?
2: Yes, it is. It's the those? Behringer. the green harmonist pedal is fucking sick. Those
1: Behringer pedals are actually, you know, they're awesome. they're amazing. They're terrible yes. like built quality, but the actual yeah, yeah. circuits are
2: amazing. So the trick like is actually. take the guts out of them, put them in a
0: better box. There you go. One that you can step on without breaking, or at least that. Yes, I
2: <laughs> straight up, man. When we toured with Harm's Way, Bo was playing one of the same Harmonus pedals that I have. <laughs> And he broke them. Like he would fucking slam his foot on these things and the foot pedal would just snap off. Yep. And I was just like, oh man, like, I, I, if I break this thing, like, it's the only one I have, you yeah. know, like I'm a host. So that's on like all of our records somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I use it in all kinds of weird places in different ways. I'll use it on bass sometimes. Uh, I'm a huge fan of. It's, a, uh, it's by a... I'm trying to think who makes it. I think it's Digitech. Bass Synthwa. It's like a green pedal. Sounds about right. Kurt Ballou used it on the Rise and Fall record that he... like The first Rise and Fall record he did. Uh, uh, yeah. Our Circle is Vicious. Mm-hmm. And I actually... I emailed him. I don't know Kurt at all. And... I was listening to that record and I heard the sound and I was like, what the fuck is that sound? Mm -hmm. And I I went to the bathroom at my job at the time, so I could like bust my phone out. And Mm -hmm. I'm sitting in a bathroom stall emailing Kurt Blue, like, what is this sound from this record you did a decade ago? I love that. No, and he straight emailed me back and was like, (laughs) I think it's this. And I was like, sick. And I went out and
1: that's amazing. it's one of the god you know it's funny because i so when rispy razor went in to record a single uh at bricktop studios with andy yeah um we also did a cover of black planet by sisters yeah. of mercy and it it, so, it sounds like the same song but it almost sounds like him honestly yeah. like it has like That's a more cool. of a him vibe. Yeah. yeah, it was cool, but like the clean, the clean, uh, the clean parts on that record are really chimey and really yeah. just like it's it's a very distinct sound. And we were trying to figure out how to do it. And it the weirdest thing we ended up using. So he has a model T in there. We used the model T for the cleans, and then we ran that through a Sansamp rack. Yeah, like a bass Sansamp rack. Yep and fuck with the frequencies and it gave us this really crazy chimey like the perfect like sound like it mimicked the sound almost to a t in the way that we wanted it to and i was like i would have never thought to do this
2: dude andy is a fucking madman
1: he he's he's just honestly he's a great engineer yes great dude and he writes some Crazy music.
2: Yes. And I mean, he's just really creative and it's only fine being out of the box because when we were recorded the emptiness of it was with Andy. Okay. There was stuff on there. Like a lot of the noise shit and like weird, like shit between songs was just his doing because it was like, he took what I was already doing Mm-hmm. and just made it something that was digestible on a record. So it just wasn't like the same like kind of punishing thing over and over again. And it was to a point where like at one point he went and got he had, like a freestanding reverb unit
3: mm-hmm.
2: and he just plugged it directly into the fucking control board and just started banging it on the fucking floor. And I'm like, you're going to break this thing for like 1950. And he's like, it's just the sound we need. And at one point, he like ran a microphone out and was like recording because they have that, uh, the wood shop in the back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All the fucking cutting boards. Mm-hmm. And he's like, we're going to go record this like saw sound. And he went back there and did that. And he brought it in. And he like manipulated it and did all the shit. So a lot of that stuff was like his doing. He just like, he understood that like we were just cool with whatever. He understood he like, the
1: assignment too.
2: He did. And he just was like, "I'm gonna do it all the way, man, hundred percent and we we were gonna go back to him, actually, um, but we ended up going with Rizik just because I like change. It forces me to have to be better.
1: well, yeah, and- you don't want you don't want to stick to it, it it's kind of like you know, obviously there's a saying like if it ain't broke, don't fix it." But right. at the same time, as a musician, you're always evolving.
0: Right. You, you know? did just right. break out of using your whole setup the way it was for so long and then switching it Exactly. Up. So, yeah, and I can
2: yeah. see it. Well, that, and like, Andy just, I felt too, I felt comfortable going to Andy. That was a big thing. Like, when we are talking to Justin at Closed Casket. He was like, where do you guys want to record? He's like, I reached out to, like, Andy. I reached out to this person, this person, this person. These are the people that have time. And half our band was like, let's just go back to Bricktop because it was a really comfortable experience. And it was like Andy completely understood it. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, but I feel like if I'm comfortable, I won't perform as well. And like, I want to like, I want to have the pressure of having to like do it right and impress somebody else and then force them to like step up to the plate with us. And cause we're like, mentality to have, Yeah. And, and we're like animals, dude. We don't use a click track. I don't even know how that shit works. We've never <laughs> recorded one. Uh, we do everything in like one or two takes. So like as you hear it is how we played it. And like our drummer, my brother, he tracked drums for all of our records in six hours. Ooh, that's it. Well, that's, that's, like, really there's no like two, two, three days of drums. It's like he sits down and he fucking does it, and we're done. Six hours, that's it. And then I go in, and I'll track everything in, like, one or two takes. And if I fuck something up, I don't take punches. I start it over.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And and so, like, yeah, there's dudes that are, like, especially now in the realm of, like, recording, and everybody can record their bedroom, and you can, like, get on Pro Tools, or you can get on mm-hmm. fucking any of these programs. And you can have, like, a studio in your home, People are really good at that, and they're really precise. And I just don't dig it, you know. Like I, I understand the place for it, but I like music that just feels organic. And so yeah. much of that stuff doesn't feel organic. Like I have friends that will send me songs that are perfect, and I'll love the song, but I'm just like, ah, the tempo's consistent, and and that was like a thing. Like even. We've had friends and bands that were like, yeah, we want it to feel organic. So even though we record to a click in the breakdown, we don't play to a click. We let the breakdown breathe. And I'm like, well, then why don't I just play the whole song that way? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. to, to, each, to each their own. I mean, like my way is not the right way.
1: I, I, think, I, I think that it's, it has its place, you know? Yeah. Like when it comes to extremely technical music. Sure, a click yeah. track is probably what you want to use, but I think, especially especially for a band like Eternal Sleep, I mean, I feel like there, there's no, you know, you could say, oh, this band sounds like this, this band sounds right. like this, but Eternal Sleep is its own beast. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, when I think of Eternal Sleep, I can't think of any other bands that really sound like Eternal Sleep. Right. Because you guys have your own, you have your own unique sound, and, like, you were talking about how... Yeah. You know, you wanted to write grunge music and yeah. put it through an HM2. Like, that's, you know, that's not going into something being like, I want to sound like, uh, you know, I want to sound like this band and this band.
0: Right. It's, it's grungy, groovy, and heavy. But then the other part is you're playing with your brother as the drummer. Yeah. And so you guys are locked in in a way that, like, a lot of people aren't going to be locked into. It's so 100%. you can find that groove and like anything else, it doesn't really matter. It's
1: just super, it's really unique. You know, it's like you said, like anybody can have a, uh, you know, a studio in their bedroom these days and make things sound super precise. And but, I think that it's really, it's rare when you get somebody that you have a group of musicians or you know, in, in your in your case, brothers that like literally can just do that, do it the way you guys yeah. do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. And I mean, some of yeah. the best records, some of the best records, like in in metal, didn't use a click track. I mean, like for example, uh, what was it? Uh, the Slipknot self titled. From what yeah. I understand, they didn't use a click track, uh, right? Let's see the cleansing by suicide silence. I know
0: you don't like. You're not necessarily a huge fan. Oh, my stuff. I'm younger. I mean, click tracks, like click tracks, metronomes, whatever. They've been around for however. Forever. Long, yeah. But it's yeah. the 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 quantizing thing has only in the past like 15 years been yeah. so right. much of a thing. I think right. that
1: I think that there's there's a certain charm to. Uh, I I don't want to say sloppiness because it's not sloppy. You know no. what I mean. It, it's more just like it, it feels real.
0: There's perfection in the, in the imperfection. Yeah,
2: exactly. Well, and I think for a band like us, what, like there, there's no bells and whistles with us live. What you see is what we are. And, and I actually, it's weird because we played a show in Florida one time and some kid actually got on the internet and he accused us me personally via Twitter of uh using guitar backing tracks, and that's why we were managed to be so heavy. And I was just like, "What in the fuck is that? Like that's just a crazy. That's thing. such a
1: that's such a silly thing to to be like. This band used use backing tracks. Like,
2: and go I go just, do something. Yeah, I was just like, wow, like. That's so bizarre to me because like it, w- intentionally there's no frills to what we yeah, do. Yeah. And, and so in turn, we treat our records the same way.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, you know, growing up, it's like, I was listening to, like, I love bands like helmet. And so like, and that's how they record it. So to me, I was like, well, that's how we should do it. Because yeah. when I see helmet, they sound like helmet and, they're not up there like, you know, having to perform a certain way or, or whatever. They're not using guitar backing tracks or not, you know? Yeah. And so that's just, that's the band we wanted to be. And that translates across the board. And, and it's, I'm very fortunate because having my brother, we definitely are locked in in mm-hmm. a way that I think a lot of people are not as fortunate to have because the two of us can just sit down and we're like, we'll just play endlessly, mm-hmm. you know, And and that was something even Arthur, when he was recording us, was just like, he starts early, man. Most engineers are like, I'll see you at noon and we'll work till 10. That dude's like, I'm going to be there at eight and we're going to work till like three and then I'm done and you can have your evening. So then I would just, I mean, we did the entire new record in three and a half days and we had booked like 10. and and we just were just done and we just like ran out of shit to do but it was like each of those nights he would leave and i would just sit there with what what we had done that day and i mean we did drums the first day all the guitars were done the second day bass was done the third day and the whole time in between guitar takes our singer was cutting vocals So he would go in and do like a song while I was changing out guitar rig stuff. Yeah. And then I would finish tracking that. And then he would come in and do that. That way it's preserving his voice. But then also like we have something that we can listen to at the end of the day. And if we need to make changes, we can, you're able to know how everything's interacting. And so we just did that. And it was like, by the time we got to like the fourth day, we were like, well, now what do we do? Like we're to like the mixing point yeah and we finished up a couple of vocal things and i i did a couple <clears throat> of guitar leads mm-hmm. and then that was it we wrapped it and we packed up and we left and arthur was like man you guys are like freaks of nature because like you just never stop playing and every day i was up at like 7 a.m like greeting him at the door like what's up man I'm like let's do it and he was just like how the fuck do you like are you do you operate like this i'm like oh, you know, I mean, but you, you got the drive, we got the drive, but I think, you know, my brother and I are this more wired the same. Uh-huh. So like, that's really beneficial to us, you know, because it was the same thing, even with Andy, I think we did that record in four days, like yeah. four full days. And the, all the seven inches we did were like two or three hours and we tracked them all. Damn. Uh, And that, that was cool. Cause that was a Mars uh, recording studio which is now defunct but they did all the integrity right. records and shit and so network. most of that is like we go in for like four hours finish up in two and then just spend two hours like getting some stories out of bill yeah, yeah and exactly. uh, and which was awesome you no know? <laughs> oh absolutely but also being efficient playing wise allows us time to be a time for me to be like a weird gear nerd you know, because mm-hmm. then I can, like, take the time to be like, hey, I want to do this thing here. You know, like, I want this specific sound in this specific place. So, like, let's right. do that. And uh so that, that's beneficial to my ADHD, you know.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <So. laughs> well, shit. I mean, how, we've been, what, talking for about, like... Like an hour
2: roughly yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't even know man we can it's talk all night. i shit. mean I,
1: I i could literally talk forever <laughs> yeah. but obviously in a podcast format yeah you for know sure. m- most people most people can't really listen that long um
0: yeah i didn't i didn't really have anything else prepared um because we kind of covered a lot of the stuff that i uh w- was gonna bring up um pretty much uh I guess we could just go over like what you got coming up what what else you want to talk about. Yeah, you're talking any, you're any, talking about this this new record we haven't covered that you want to talk about? Um and then I mean, yeah. I don't know. Uh
2: well, so I'll just I'll talk about the record. Yeah. So the record is uh I I mean I should be receiving test press any day uh in the mail. So that's cool because it's been done since 2019. Shit.
1: And how many, uh, how many songs is this record? Are you able to divulge that information?
2: Yeah. yeah. There's 12 tracks, Nice. Um, 10 proper, two instrumental things. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, it's, I think it times out like 36 minutes of music. Mm. Um,
1: that's the really, perfect amount for 12 songs.
2: Yeah. We didn't intend for it to be this long between records. Uh, it gave off the illusion that like, we had just kind of disappeared. Mm -hmm. Um, really, we just, we toured a lot on the last record, like the, the month it was released, we went out on tour with nails and then that started like nine months of touring for us. Yeah. And we just like every tour, we just took it and we stayed out and I just didn't write anything in that period of time. Mm -hmm. So we lost like a year to like the record cycle. And then when we came back, we were tired, needed a break. So we mm-hmm. all fucked off. And uh, our singer was putting out music with his other band.
0: Yeah, the Unreal City stuff came out in that yes. time frame. Uh, my and, band played uh, with them in that time frame, too. Mm-hmm.
2: Which is crazy, man, because their record that came out like during the pandemic, uh, that shit had been like written and recorded and done for like a year prior to closed casket, picking it up. Shit. They had just been sitting on like a lot of music for a long time and uh, couldn't find a home for it, man. And I'm glad that they did. Cause the shit's cool, you yeah. know? And, uh, but so he was doing that and he also does a band. It's just, it's like a solo thing. It's him. It's called smile machine.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: That
2: just <laughs> sounds like L seven and the pixies or something. It's kind of cool.
1: That's very sick
2: and uh and that's actually where like a lot of him like like on the two songs that we just released one is very clean vocal heavy cleanish vocal that's it's I'm weird kidding. it's like in the vein of like that weird 90s alt rock shit and uh he but it's still was doing that
3: yeah
2: right he was doing that on the smile machine stuff and i was like bro you're holding out man like <laughs> and And actually, we had done, we did the Knock Loose uh, record release, like the Different Shade of Blue record release tour, or like, Mm -hmm. you know, like like the short one before they did it. You did a leg of the tour, right? Yeah. And uh, when we played those shows, our only goal was to, like, bum out their audience. (laughs) Like, intentionally, like, it was a conversation we had of, like, how can we be, like, the most fucked up band these kids have ever seen? And uh, our solution was that we were only going to play our rock songs off like the last couple records. Oh, so we, and we and we, so we did that and every night people really responded to it. We we're like, oh fuck, this kind of backfired. And, uh, but so we had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. So we came back from that and we had only written half the record at that point. Mm-hmm. And so I had a bunch of songs that were going to, I was going to do something else with it cause they were all rock songs. I was like, these don't have a place in eternal sleep and all, and all the, the dudes, like my brother in particular had, there was some stuff that I had played him and he's like, I hate it. It sucks. I don't want to use it. And uh, well, they're now on the eternal sleep record. So I win. Uh you know, he <laughs> everybody came around, man. It's like, we played those shows and everybody's like, man, we need more of that shit. And I was like, well, I have it. You know it's just sitting in the wheelhouse so yeah we ironed that stuff out we went in recorded uh in october of 2019 and originally the record was going to be out in may of 2020 mm-hmm. and then right. the fucking pandemic dude yep and uh being a band that kind of needs to play in front of people to justify a record we told justin to sit on it and yeah. then every other band in the world put out records during the pandemic and they all Mm -hmm. crushed. They all did really well. And we were like, fuck, maybe we should have just put it out. But we, we held fast, man. We were like, until we can go out and comfortably play shows, there's no point in putting out this record. So then, you know, what would have only been three years between records is now like six. And, it was like deceptive because when we released those songs we actually had shows booked
3: mm-hmm. and
2: that was why we released them and then those got canceled because the other band had some covid concerns and their drummer ended up getting uh, getting covid and so we had to cancel the dates and it sucked and uh we we're like fuck it put the songs out i don't mm-hmm. care like i'm sick of like not sharing this stuff with people yeah so we put it out and, uh, now it's like, we're looking at a summer release for the record, uh, all the arts have been approved. Um, like I said, test presses are, should be here any day. And, uh, that's what well, we just have to approve those. And then we're off to the races. Uh, it's going to be sick, man. Uh, it's called, uh, desperate prayer blues. Cause it's, that's what it is, man. It's man, a, that's, yeah. that's tough. It's it's a record. I'm pretty sure, man, because our singer is like a Muay Thai guy, Mm -hmm. and I'm pretty sure that the whole record is just about him like ninja kicking God to death. Uh, I I I don't know, (laughs) but there's some like very like anti like God stuff on there, which is you know that's cool. That's what the world deserves. Uh, That's kind of you know what it's just kind of been our thing since day one. but it's, it's, I think it started as like, uh, like a metaphor for like, just mm-hmm. everything we don't like. It's like an easy target almost. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think he did it this, on this record in a way that's like much cooler. Like, I think he's really outdone himself. And, uh, that to me was like the coolest thing about doing the record was like, I got to be as weird as I wanted, but then he came in and just kind of made the whole thing come together. And, yeah. uh, so I'm excited. I'm
0: excited for people to hear it. People seem to respond well to the stuff we just released. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's badass. I'm I'm stoked that first one. Uh, I I like that you were talking about Helmet and Damnation AD and everything like that because I yeah. definitely like the upon first listening to uh, There Above, I was like, oh, this is kind of like Helmet and Unsane. and yeah. then the second one is obviously like yes. got like the, the slower grunge thing going yeah. on. I'm I can kind of I yeah, I feel like I can I think I can see where it's going and it's it's dope.
1: I mean just from everything you've said all the gear you've talked about that you use and you know just just knowing the kind of band that you guys are and the evolution of the band. I'm very I'm actually very excited to hear this new record.
2: Yeah dude I, I mean I think it's it's great. I think everybody says that when they put out something new. And I think that most people genuinely mean it, you know, because mm-hmm. it's like creative people. Everybody is like proud of that thing that they're creating. Of course. Yeah, you're um, living and breathe it. Right. Exactly. W- when we chose those songs to go out, we kind of picked the two most polarizing moments of the record. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think they're representative of like the entirety of the whole thing.
3: Because mm-hmm. there's
2: definitely stuff that just you're going to hear and you're like, oh yeah, that is an eternal sleep song and then there's some stuff that's going to kind of challenge you a little bit and you're going to be like wow that's fucking that sounds like it should be on like a an X Games video or something
1: and that uh, that's so that's so dope though you know yeah. i i think that i think that with this new record i mean at least from what i can put together i can see i can see you guys getting to a much bigger audience you know, breaking out to a much yeah. bigger audience, and,
2: you know, I mean, I mean that's there's people that have heard it. Um, people like in our camp, you know, yeah. some close friends, and that's kind of the sentiment across the board. But, uh, I mean, full disclosure,
0: mm-hmm.
2: we don't give a fuck, you know, well, like and that's, and that's what
1: that's yeah. what makes it so cool yeah. is because you're not doing it for anybody but yourself. And when it comes down to it, the best, the best music is the music that you make for yourself.
2: Right. I mean, I said to Justin, when we sent him the masters at closed casket, uh, we sent him the masters and I was on the phone with him and we were talking about the record. And even recently we were talking about what touring would look like for it. And he's like, you know, I think people are, you're really going to get your shine on this one. And I was like, I just want to be like the Melvins of hardcore. You know, I yeah. want to be like a weird outlier band that just gets to do whatever the fuck we want for as long as we want to do it. And like and I don't care about anything else.
1: I think it's I yeah. so I, I say it in the way that you know, it's funny because literally a good example of this is I mean Turnstile on Jimmy Kimmel live last night. Crazy. Like crazy. Like that is that is, you know, you would have you would have asked us. either of us from the DMV where we were seeing Turnstile in a right. garage in Baltimore. Yeah, like, oh, are they ever going to play yeah, on Jimmy Kimmel live? Eh, yeah, no. But <laughs> they're they're a band that has pushed themselves and evolved into a band that is digestible, and Brand. so it, it's reached such an audience that now they're able yeah. to liter- they're literally able to play on TV now. You yeah, know what I mean, and I think that it's really cool because obviously it's not like there's other bands that have done that before but not like this where it's a straight up what started as an underground hardcore band you know essentially side project turn into a full-fledged like phenomenon
0: i think they made this anyway no absolutely i think think they just had the opportunity to well absolutely and the thing
1: is is that they're making music that they want to make yeah. And right. it just so happens that all these opportunities are coming to them like that. And I think that that's very, very likely to happen for eternal sleep in that way.
2: Well, I think that um, I don't know, because I, I actually had this conversation. I saw a vein uh, Friday night. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here in Pittsburgh. And it was weird because they I mean, they almost sold out this room. And out of the entire room of people, I know this is part of getting older, mm-hmm. I only recognize like 10 people and their audience here in this area has like completely shifted. And I texted Justin in a closed casket to be like, yo, what was the show like in like Syracuse or whatever, Albany? And he was like, same thing. And I was like, that's like an indicator that this is a band that's like on the cusp Because, I mean, we saw it with, like, Code Orange and stuff where as they started to make that shift, the audience changes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see that with Turnstile. Uh, And in that moment, I actually, I I was talking to my wife about it because she was like, man, you know, I I can't imagine a lot of these people coming to see, like, Eternal Sleep. And she was like, I think they should want to, but I, I can't see it. And I was like, no, because... Uh, a band like Vane, a band like Turnsaw, they're doing what they do. A band like Knock Loose, they're all doing what they do, and they're doing it in a way that like it's digestible for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that Eternal Sleep, probably just because like I'm a grumpy old prick, uh, everything we do is like really antisocial by like mm-hmm. design, and so even like stuff that's like catchy or it seems accessible we do it in a way that it's like still very antisocial. Mm-hmm. So it's not as like readily di- digestible by people. Mm-hmm. So it's like weird because like people like yourselves are like friends of ours who like understand us as people or like, will talk to us and are, are like our band and like, we hear this and this makes sense. It's going to get a shine. It's going to be awesome. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, but I'm still the guy that's like playing live and intentionally trying to sonically hurt the audience and
1: and that's the funny thing is like you you want it to be perceived one way and you want it to be be perceived as anti-social and just as abrasive as possible but that's in in lieu that's gonna attract more people into it because i
2: think i think it does yeah absolutely absolutely does I mean, that's what we saw when we did those knock shows, man. Yeah. And, and it like I said, it made the rest of my band really happy, and they were like all 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 in for whatever crazy shit I drummed up. And but for me, it was like it was enjoyable. It was a lot of fun. But I was like, man, I really wanted to like bum these kids out. Like, I mean, because those shows were kids. cool, man. Well, you know, kind of. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, no, I, I get what you're saying though. It's it's like you're you're going into it with the expectation of you want people to watch you, but also kind of hate you, but like yeah. in, in the way in the way that you want, not like a man. This band right. sucks. I'm gonna tell them they suck, and I'm gonna try and fight that right. sort of thing. You know what I mean? I mean,
2: dude, on those shows, our gimmick to start the set, we were just letting like the craziest feedback go until we physically couldn't take it. <laughs> and then playing our songs. I love that. And so some nights it was like five minutes of nothing but like white fucking noise. Yeah. And people were just standing with their ears plugged, just like, what the fuck is happening to me yeah. right now? And, you know, you we had Foreign Hands was opening the show. Judiciary was fucking second on the bill and crushing every night. And then it was like us and then Knock Loose. We're direct support. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have two young bands that are killing it and people are going nuts over it Mm -hmm. and then you come we come out and it's like here's fucking five minutes of feedback like suck it and i'm like this is guaranteed to bum them out and every night dude we sold out of merch two shows in we were were all merch i was like dude this is the craziest thing because dude we did like that every time i died tour was like six weeks the first like 10 shows we didn't sell anything so it's like to then turn around and it's like, and we're trying to win over that audience, yeah. and then to turn around, we're trying to alienate these fucking people from what we're doing, and they're like, they loved it, they're like rabid over
0: it. I, I think it's very like, telling. It-
1: I think that's very telling. Yeah. of What's What's to come? Honestly,
0: it's it's almost like the right. uh, all the feedback and everything was like a uh, was like a hard reset, and then like a palate cleanser. Yeah. And then you got to play the set. Yeah. So rather you know, than work yeah. with them, it, it helped them. It's more just like, fuck, it stop I, it. Yeah, I think it did, man. And I, also, too, I think that
2: we've always oddly been a gear band, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's like we're like the only band for a long time that was running full stacks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm talking everywhere. If we're playing in your fucking basement, we're playing with full stacks and two eight tenths to boot. Who the fuck does that? You know, Eternal sleep does that. Exactly, uh, <laughs> like I I started bringing less gear on the road for no reason other than like everybody started doing it, and you it's mean, like now every band has like full stacks. I'm like, oh, fuck this. I'm going back to fucking half stacks. You just um, got
1: you just got to bump it up a notch. You got you got to run. Yeah, four.
2: I need more. You got to run four. I, I have four. That's the fucked up thing. I have four fucking full stacks, and I could do that. But, like, who wants to deal with that shit? I love it. You know, my band would just make me carry it myself. But we... uh, It would look cool, though, and and sound even better. I guarantee it. But, so, you know, through whatever reason, we've always been, like, a gear band, too. So I think that attracts people. You know, people always want to talk to us about shit. Like, we played a show recently, and, like... uh, our bass player, he's using some shit I bought during the pandemic. You know, I got mm-hmm. like a, one of those dark glass Alpha and Omega 900s. Um,
1: amazing. Bass amps. Amazing.
2: And then actually, uh, a company from you guys' neck of the woods, uh, Damnation Audio. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Uh am oh. in Baltimore.
2: Yeah. I got one of their, uh, like the MBD one, yeah. two.
1: Yeah, the MBD two. And, yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, because I went and saw I Flies, and they were using one, and was it was the that best that. bass tone. I, yeah, it was. And uh, <laughs> he, he had the best bass tone I've heard, like, ever. And yeah. I was just like, oh, okay. And I bought one two days later, and we were running that through, like, an 810. And literally some kid, after our set, came up to our bass player and was like, dude, I thought my shit sounded good. And then you just, like, dominated me. And he was like, talk to him. It's all his shit, you know. Mm -hmm. And some kid came up to me and was like, "Dude, I was kept trying to take pictures of your paddleboard because like it's fucking wacky." And I'm like, "Yeah, let's talk." And I'll talk to everybody about that shit. (laughs) I don't care, man. I had a kid hit me up one. Dude, some kid messaged me one time on Instagram was like, "Hey, what did you use on every one of your records?" I said, "How much do you want to know?" He was like, everything. I was like, really everything? And he was like, yep. Literally, I sent him like a fucking spreadsheet of every fucking pedal I've ever used, every amp I've ever used, what channels they're on, what songs they're on, what minute markers, all that shit. And he was like, holy fuck, dude. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm a psychopath. So, I love it like, <laughs> I encourage people, anybody listening to this, if they want to talk, I mean, you guys see, I've talked your ear off for like an hour and a half, man. No,
1: no we, we love it. Yeah. I mean, That's, that's, I, I feel like this is going to be something that I end up saying every episode that we do, but this is why this exists. This is why we started
2: this. When Matt told me about it, I was like, he actually, he posted about it that he, you know, you guys were doing Mm -hmm. this and that he had like done it or whatever. And I was like, dude, that is so sick. I was like, I wish people would talk to me about this shit more. And he was like, "I'll I'll let him know." And I was like, "Sick!" And
0: like a couple of days later, you guys like fucking hit me up. <laughs> and and I'm here like, we are. Yeah, the fact that the You're fact gone. that he hit us up and told us that you were interested in doing that, it was like that. That was like enough to know that like we we were kind of on the road that we needed to be on because like mm-hmm. yeah. Matt Matt obviously you know is like another person right. that we could just have these conversations with on accident. Yeah. Yeah. Just like anytime I run into him, we just end up talking like this yeah and, and,
1: <laughs> so. and that's the funny thing is that literally the, the jeremy one day you know i've known him for we've known each other for what 10 years now yeah roughly 10 years and literally every time we text we talk hang out we always end up talking about gear relentlessly yeah. like it, yeah. when i say relentlessly i mean like it, it's it's incessant like just talking about gear like i was at work today and i sent him something like it's just like yeah. it doesn't end and then like one day he was yeah. like oh we should start a podcast and i was like let's do it
0: yeah because you yeah, get dude. these conversations out of a rig rundown and you don't get them out of a normal podcast because no. people kind of gloss over no, it and no. like oh we're not going to bore the audience with that and it's like no, no do it that's the shit i want yeah, I mean, you're
2: absolutely right, man. I watch all those rig rundowns, and they get right to the thing that I want to know, and they're like, yeah, we're not going to talk about that. It's like, they're just, like, they're I, just
1: edging you. They're just edging you the yeah, whole time, and then they just up. fucking blow it for you.
2: Yeah, dude, it drives me nuts. And then I spend, like, days and weeks trying to research what I want to know mm-hmm. through, like, weird forums and shit, and it's like, man, why do you do that to me? Just tell me. Telling tell well, me the and, shit that, and that's yeah. the cool
1: thing is like this is absolutely a podcast for the for the guys girls any literally anybody who stands at the front of the stage side of the stage behind the stage and tries to look at what you are using yeah
2: like well, and and it, I, think, I think that's important man because we all come from that mm-hmm. yeah you know, absolutely absolutely like- yeah, you know, I'm still that guy. I, you know, we tour with a band, or if I go see a band, like I want to mm-hmm. know what they're using. The first thing I do is scope their pedal board. And I worked until recent, until the pandemic when shows closed down. I worked as a stagehand and a concert production manager for like ten years. Yeah, and every band that came through, I'm checking it out. Whether it's you know, I worked for Kiefer Sutherland and shit, and I'm like, what's wow. your fucking country band using? I wanna yeah, know. Yeah. And I I remember shit, you know, like I remember their drummer had like Ludwig reissued a bunch of, of vintage drum hardware that mm-hmm. was all just like super fragile and stupid. Uh it didn't make any sense. And he hated <laughs> it, but he had to use it because they wanted the band to look authentic to like the time that they were pulling music from. And I was like, that's so bizarre to me. But I remember those fucking details. I remember the fact that the dude from blues traveler, we carried in two pallets of harmonicas. Motherfucker has harmonic. He changes harmonicas every three shows. Like a guitar player changes strings every three shows. He just throws them out and cracks a new one. He has some that will never touch his lips. Because they're junk to him. And he hands them out to the audience all night.
1: Man. And I'm just like. Is,
2: wow.
1: I. So it's, it's like. It's, that's like a, shit. it's like a pack a day smoker sort of deal. But with yeah.
2: harmon- <laughs> with harmonicas. Right. And so it's like that shit's cool, man. It was cool when like um, MC5 came through. Like mm-hmm. on that reunion tour a couple of years ago. Yeah. And like Kim Fahill from fucking Soundgarden was with him. And it's like I got to walk right up. And there's his guitar vault. And I can just look at all his fucking guitars in there. And you are just like, that's like history. I'm looking at something that's like, so you're right, man. This is for like all those people that are like, want to know, they want that information. They want to like be better. I had a kid one time break into the back of a venue after the show was done. He snuck in the back door and he army crawled across the room to my amps and took a fucking picture of my amp settings, but he didn't turn his flash off. Like the flash went off and I just was like, yo, what's up, man? And he was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I just like really wanted to know how you get that sound. I was like, just ask me. I'll tell you everything. Take all the pictures you want. Like I'll, I'm there's no gatekeeping. I will tell you fucking everything. And he was like, really? And I was like, yes. It's like, dude, so when, it's you like, do, when you
1: do something like that, I'm going to think you're stealing and I'm going to beat you up. <laughs> Like, it's like those kids, man.
2: Those are the kids that, like, I are important, man. Yes.
1: No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's sure. especially important with you know, like under the underground scene of metal and hardcore, especially yeah. you know because obviously you have the bigger bands and they're a little bit more accessible in terms of information because everybody knows them, right? You know, but you know, you see you see one band one time in like a VFW hall. Like, yeah. a good example, like uh, Black Mask. Like, I, yeah. played with, uh, I played with Black Mask one time and I was like, what the hell? Like, how do they, how does it sound like this? Like, why yeah. does it hurt me when I'm watching this? You know? Yeah. And it, like, just being able to go up and see and like try and see what they had. I never got a chance to.
2: You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I was it a
1: was... kid that was too scared to ask.
2: I'll tell you what it was. It was the Behringer HM2. <laughs> the,
1: what was that? The the It's pink. And they it's like an
2: HM3000 yeah. or something.
1: Yeah, the HM3000. There's one
0: in the closet in the other room. Yeah. You hear
1: that? He, yeah. got, he got one in the closet. Yeah. yeah,
2: that's that's what it was, man. And they ran. Uh, he had like Travis McKenrick early on was using a, a sun Beta lead that he took out of a two twelve, and it Mm -hmm. always bummed him out because mine were louder because his was post Fender. Mine was pre Fender. So mine, I I've never turned my sons louder than two and he would have his like dimed out. And it wasn't as loud as mine. Uh, and I know these things because they actually, our first like real Mm -hmm. tour was Mm -hmm. with them. They like took us to Europe.
1: I, I had a, I, I had a feeling that if I mentioned Black Mask, we would get somewhere with it because that's yeah. a band that's the only other band I can think of that I've ever seen where I've been like, holy shit, this band is using like the most and it's yeah. sick.
2: Yeah.
1: You
3: know?
2: Well, it's funny, man, because I, I mean they might feel differently about this, but uh like our what well, Death used to play with their old band, uh Surrender the Savior. And mm-hmm. death rate. our shit was we played six 12-cabs stacked with four 12-cabs. So there's ten 12s. It's yeah. fucking insane. We had two of those and then 2 eight tens. And we played with Surrender the Savior, and they just had, like, half stacks and, like, an eight ten, 10 like a normal band. Yeah. And then the next time we played with them, they had gone out and gotten six 12-cabs. And I was like, oh, like you just straight bit our shit. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, didn't care. But then, like, when we started doing Eternal, we were doing like full stacks and two mm-hmm. A10s. And we mm-hmm. played with Black Mask, and they had like four 12s and two 12s. So they had six 12s. Yeah. Um, and then the next time we saw them, they had full stacks and they had two A10s. And. I know that they i think they credit that band like uh torch runner to that oh group. yeah yeah and i know that that dude played with them for a little bit as well mm-hmm. and like they were another band that was doing that so like it very well could be but we're like we live like an hour away from those dudes and i know mike yeah. very well travis mckenrick lives here casey from unreal city is also black masked mm-hmm. now yeah, yeah. so so like it's very intermixed mm-hmm. but we went to Europe with them. They were supposed to go to Europe with old wounds Mm -hmm. and old wounds canceled. And we were playing like a weekend of shows and they intersected with like a black mass show. So we were hanging out and they watched our set. Mike Stella was just like, Hey, do you guys want to go to Europe with us? We're like, yeah, fuck it.
1: Awesome dude. Mike's Mike's a solid. Mike's the best dude.
2: Yeah. Actually, I got the, uh, PV Butcher from Mike, because nice. they Black Mask used it for a while. It was like a sun beta lead in the PV Butcher. And, uh, but yeah, so we went to Europe with those dudes. And at that point we were doing, um, we had like a red light that we took on tour with us. And we would put it behind the drummer every night.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: when we came back from that tour, they played a show at a venue that's like, it's like a house venue that's like a two blocks from my house. And I went, and they had the red light gimmick, and that's why <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna straight up say that like they stole it all from us, man. Uh, no, nah. but uh, I'm just I'm just busting their chops. But no, no of it, course, no. But I mean, they were like a really great band. They also yeah. have a fucking record. They have a record that is not out. Oh shit! That's a it's, that's they, a
1: shame that it
2: is not. Yeah, out. dude. It's uh, they recorded it at Silver Bullet. Uh, Ah, which is the same.
1: Sounds fantastic.
2: It does. It sounds insane. It's like a DB record. It's really fucking great, dude. And uh, I know that Mike has recently been like working on the vocals for it. So I really hope that it comes out because it's fantastic, and they're a band that I think deserves to be out there. Um, but yeah, man, it's cool. It's cool how like gear intertwines us all, man.
1: Absolutely. gear gear is the uh gear is the uh as uh this is me being real nerdy. Energon for Transformers, gear is like that for uh, for us. Yes. He he's he's wincing so hard. God, I love (laughs) listen the, the Michael Bay Transformers can can suck my whole hog. The original the original movie and the original series untouchable i grew up with that
2: yeah it is yeah,
1: i'll leave it at awesome. that i'll leave it at that yeah. gears well, john
2: I'll, I'll i'll leave this on one last cool gear note yes uh, so we talked about guitars and i didn't tell you about my coolest guitar Who? oh yeah
1: Ooh.
2: all right man and i actually play this one i get this one i won't after i have talk about this publicly cuz I, I it can't get stolen mm-hmm. uh it is, uh, I was gifted for my wedding a, uh, first act custom shop, one of a kind guitar, and it's in the shape of an old Masrite, Yep. and it the 12th fret in, inlay is 1984, which is the year I was born.
0: Damn. Man. And, uh, the
2: That's story funny. behind it is I got it from Andy Williams,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and he, uh, he called me like three days before my wedding and he was like, Hey man, I have a wedding present for you. Uh, check your phone. You know, I'm going to send you pictures. I look at it. I'm like, Holy shit. Like this thing is amazing. I'm looking at it. I'm like, wait, is that a fucking first act? He's like, yeah. You know, like in the early two thousands, they had their custom shop and their builders were all dudes that left Gibson. So their guitars were fucking legit. And they were building them for, like, Maroon 5 and fucking Converge and High on Fire, all those bands.
0: Trapped in Uh, that one, yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. Yes. And so Andy Williams had a first-act endorsement. And he said that when they closed out the custom shop, they just called him and said, Hey, we got a bunch of guitars here. Like, come pick through and take whatever you want. So he went down to get a bunch of guitars. He's taking guitars. And he goes in the office on his way out and just sees this guitar sitting there he's like what's up with that thing they're like "Ah, man we like it was a custom build we made it for these guy this guy they never called us back he never picked it up you you can have it if you want it he took it because he was like someday i'll just have a bud that was born in like 84 and this will be the perfect gift for him
1: yeah
2: and so he tells me all this and he was like so it's yours and i was like what and he's like, but only half of it. He's like, if you ever break up with your wife, she she gets to cut this thing in fucking half, you know? And I was like, <laughs> you know, fair. Uh, but so, yeah. So then I went up to Buffalo. And we, were, we went out to dinner and we were hanging out. And he gave me this guitar. And it's the nicest guitar I yeah, have. Is... It plays like a Les Paul.
1: Yeah. yeah. That, that's, that's probably, I, I can't imagine, like... You know, for for one, for me, I I don't know Andy, of course. I'm not friends with Andy, but I can't just like the idea of Andy from every time I die gifting gifting me a first act custom that has the year I was born on the 12th fret inlay. That that sounds like it sounds like a dream. That's that's
2: crazy. That's insane. It's insane. And I mean it's insane for me, and it's like, you know, like he's my dude. And it yeah. still is like, it's hard to separate sometimes because he's like a celebrity, especially now with his wrestling stuff. Yeah. He's like a household fucking name. And it's weird sometimes even for me to separate that. Like when I text him about something, it's weird. Cause I feel like I'm texting this person. I shouldn't be texting, you know, no, but like, that. he's like the realest dude. He's like one of my best friends. And I'm like very fortunate for that. But getting that guitar was like another level it took our friendship to like a whole different tier and it kind of blew my mind um yeah and, and on that i did the only thing i did change on that guitar is because it has like i play seymour duncan jb's and everything
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh but i change all the nuts on my guitar to brass nuts and they're all stamped with my nickname which is screw uh so all my brass Hell nuts yeah. to actually say screw in them And so that guitar is like, with it having my birth year and the screw nut, it's as close to like a custom signature guitar as all It's
1: literally your guitar. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. That's why now that I've expressed it, I can't ever take that anywhere. (laughs) Damn, that's sick. Some cocksucker. Maybe maybe
1: the big outings, you know, when you guys are playing stadiums after the yeah, maybe.
2: Some (laughs) motherfucker will steal that shit, man. People are fucking ravenous these days, man. It's, It's horrible.
1: Yeah, I had, I have, uh, when I had, so I'm actually back at this job now. I'm not touring full time anymore. I'm, you know, adjusting into being a a full fledged adult, but being able to afford gear is also sick. Um, but I had a, I had a good job and I was on tour and I was in Chicago and I went to the Chicago music exchange and they had some Dunnables there. And I played a Cyclops, and I was like, "I need this. I need one now." And so I yeah. sent an email to Sasha and literally got a completely murdered out uh, Cyclops, one volume knob, two pickups, three way switch with a Bigsby, with a with a floating Bigsby, awesome. and it is yeah. insanely cool. It was a lot of money, that's but awesome. like that's something I'm gonna have forever.
2: You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, Dude, and those guitars were so awesome. I worked a show for his band, Intronaut. Yeah, yeah. And that was the first time I, I met him and saw those guitars. And I asked him about it. He's like, oh, I make these. And I was just like, whoa. And then after that, I looked into him. I was like, I can't afford that shit. Plus,
3: yeah.
2: I'm a degenerate with my guitars, man. I don't wire in anything. My volume and tone knobs do not work. I don't wire in the pick the neck pickup. It's only bridge ever. And my three-way switch, the toggle X is a kill. So yeah, up it's yeah. off on down, the guitar is all on all the time. So I it's like there's the no thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like I just started doing that because shit would break. When we had we had a lace pickup endorsement and their shit, I would sweat it out all the time, dude, and shit would mm. break. And I'd have to change the jacks like every 10 shows. And I was like, I've never had that problem with anything but their shit. And, uh, it bummed me out. So I just was like, fuck it. Everything comes out, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's just on all the time. Cause then there's nothing to break. Yeah. You know, oh shit. Um, I
1: am, uh, extremely grateful for you, uh, so, seriously, yeah. We, seriously, we're very oh, yeah. good yeah. time. And nah. uh, you know, honestly, would love to have you back at some point. You know, whether Always. it be just you, somebody else from the band. You know, when you guys are full fledged. You know, yeah, badass rock stars that hate everybody and want to hurt everybody
0: D- down the road. And uh, maybe you'll have you'll switch up your gear a little bit, and maybe it'll mm-hmm. be something new to talk about. Maybe not. Maybe same old shit and just. More to talk about. I don't know. It's already. To... Exactly. We're playing a show.
2: We're playing a show Monday with Undeath, and oh, uh, yeah, the rig I'm taking for that is totally different than the one I just used at the show in Pittsburgh. <laughs> I love it, <laughs> and that you know? that's that's
1: nice. what it, that's what it's all about. But yeah. uh, we really appreciate you being on here,
2: and I appreciate uh, you guys.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, it's a uh, Travis Bennington of. Eternal Sleep and Eternal Sleep has a new record coming out. Uh, you said midsummer? You said June. Yeah,
2: right? I I mean I, tentatively, I don't, tentatively it should be out this summer. I don't okay. see why um you know, we're we're so far along in the process that I I feel comfortable saying that like this summer or the fall at the latest. Nice.
1: And the name of the record again was
2: it is uh Desperate Prayer Blues. Yeah, so look out
1: for Desperate Prayer Blues yeah. on Closed Casket activities. Uh, that'll be coming out at some point this year. It's gonna yes. be a banger. I I can already tell. Um, so but yeah, do you have anything else you'd like to plug or?
2: Nah, man, I'm good.
0: <laughs> I will. Uh, I'll, I'll put the band camp and the closed casket link in the show notes and. Uh, cool,
2: man. Yeah,
0: I, I'm gonna uh,
2: on our fucking Spotify artist page. I'll uh, promote this as well because oh, you can do that sick. with the artist picks. I'll kick it to this after our show on Monday. Hell so, yeah. You know, sick. You know, Thank you. Yeah, all right, man. Well,
1: again, very, I mean, obviously this is the first time I've ever talked to you. I already feel like we're straight up, straight up brothers at this point. Oh, I mean, yeah, man. Brothers in gear. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, I'll fucking fire my <laughs> number to you guys and we'll just talk about this shit all the time.
1: Fuck please man. please do, with, do with love, yeah. nothing more
2: absolutely dude you guys are great i really appreciate it seriously i love any chance to be a nerd
1: (laughs) right right back at you (laughs) real (laughs) all right man well you have a good one all right thanks for talking to us
0: you as well all right good night
2: you as well see you man